Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and iniquities and transgressions and shortcomings and these things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time I have with my brother and sisters in Christ, Lord, that you've given us yet another day to be in your word, Lord, another day to be taught of your spirit, another day, Lord, that we get to see each other, and we thank you for keeping us in good health. We thank you for the work, Lord, that you're doing in each of our lives, and we thank you, we're thankful for your grace, Lord, that we are growing in. Lord, because aside from you, we can do absolutely nothing. So I pray, Lord, for a strong presence of the Holy Ghost tonight, that tonight's message gets presented and understood, that there is no middle ground, that this whole thing is about a war between you and your adversary set in play from the very beginning. And Lord, we just want to be powered up. We want to be placed where we need to be. We want to do as you command, and we want you to be pleased in us, Mm -hmm. that we consider you more, Lord, than we consider ourselves. Mm -hmm. More of Jesus and less of us. In the name of Jesus, I bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every spirit of slothfulness, every spirit of pride, every spirit, Lord, that is anti-Christ, every spirit that is in despair, that is in suicide, Lord, I curse and bind those demons in Jesus' name, that you have a purpose for a people, Lord, no matter how downtrodden they are, no matter how much failure and defeat that they may suffer in life, Lord, it's because they don't know the one true God. And I'm asking, Lord, that you stretch forth these prayers, Lord, to the ends of the earth, that someone might be listening, that might get touched, that they may understand what this whole thing is about, that there is nothing that we can do aside from you, that if we are not doing your will, then we are doing the will of someone else. Lord, I'm just asking, Lord, that you watch over the brethren who couldn't be here today. I'm asking that you look after their lives. I'm asking that you bring us all on one accord, that we may be of one spirit, one baptism, and one faith. Under one true God, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that we may be found worthy, Lord, to escape the things that are coming upon the earth. Lord, in these times where there is such confusion, where there is such misunderstanding, I pray that you put us in places and in positions where we are able to preach your word and to bring clarity. For your word is a word of truth. It's a word of transformation. It's a word of the past, present, and future. And only you can tell us our clear future, Lord, because your word, you are not a man that you can't lie, that you are God and you know the beginning from the end. If you are the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, then your word and your word alone should be sought after, Lord, to explain the things that are coming along in these times. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we win more souls to you. We pray that we keep in desire the things that you want. 
We pray for those that we go out there and we speak to, Lord, that they may be born again, that they may be cleansed, Lord, that they may, you know, experience the power of your Holy Ghost, because aside from you, Lord, we can do nothing. So, Lord, I pray that no flesh gets glorified in this lesson. I pray, Lord, that you and you alone get the glory. For, Lord, after all, we're only preaching and teaching what you have given us. And, Lord, we want you to, to speak through this all, Lord, that we not utter words that don't come from you. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true. And you are worthy of all praises. Do it, Lord, because you can and because you will. But for your glory and your honor, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so tonight's study is going to be called, He that gathereth not, he scattereth. Now, we know that Jesus has said this, and we're going to go over, you know, into his words. We're going to give many examples in the Bible of where this comes from. Because, you know, you get a sense when you read the Old Testament that Jesus didn't say anything in the New that he did not say or mean to take place in the Old he understood aside from his spirit that man couldn't grasp it, but one thing he did do was teach them the truth. And, um, you know, the New Testament is Jesus Christ revealed. The Old Testament is Jesus Christ concealed. And I think if we get a better understanding of that, then we know that many of the things of the Old Testament applies to us. Now, they aren't taken the same way. There are many laws in the Old Testament that we don't do today because, you know, we are in a different period with the Lord. But one thing is clear that God always meant for a people to be holy and after his righteousness and what his desires were aside from what the adversary would do. So we're going to kind of get into this and um, give some understanding that if you're really not doing things for the kingdom of God, then what you are doing is you're, you're fighting against the kingdom. And there are a lot of people that will use the point and say, well, you know, no, I'm doing my will. I'm not doing the will of my enemy. But you're really not. Because even if you encounter Christians, let's just say you're a Christian, and you encounter other Christians that may be trying to have more understanding, and they look at you as an example. Now, I know that we're only supposed to focus on Jesus, but we tend to focus on whom we're around as an example. And, you know, we're pistols read of men. But let's just say they see you and you're slothful and you know, you curse like the world, you live like the world, you do what the world does, but you still profess Jesus, you know, that kind of gives people the full sense of security in obeying Jesus Christ, that they may go and do the exact same things. Or even if you're one where you can say, well, I'm not into religion, I just talk about sports and I talk about my daily life. Okay, so while you're encountering people that don't know Jesus Christ, and you're introducing them into all this worldly stuff, if you're not building for the kingdom of God, you're scattering because you're even distracting people away from what is most important at this point. Even when God has tried to bring his gospel to you, that you may be born again and learn and teach it, you reject it and, and decide to take up something else. You know, so you are also not making yourself a vessel that the master can work through. So you see, so for every soul that does receive the spirit and for those that don't, you're a hindrance. You're a blockage. You're doing nothing for the kingdom. And that's why slothfulness is so dangerous because, you know, you don't have to do anything to go to hell. You know, so you want to obey the Lord and do what the Lord says because if you're not on Jesus Christ's side, you are on Satan's side. And we're going to give many examples of this today and why this is so important 
that we choose a side. Because even if you're bouncing back and forth, you're still a hindrance. Because, you know, some days you're giving the devil power and you're doing his will, which means that you're fighting against the kingdom of God, and then you're jumping back on the kingdom of God's side trying to fight for God's kingdom. And you know what Jesus said about those, you know, that he's not going to tolerate that. So let's get started. If anyone has anything to add, they can. If not, let's go to Luke 11. We'll start at verse 1. I love when you're sitting and talking and the Lord gives you something else. got excited to hear Luke. Like, I haven't been in Luke in a while, and I like Luke a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Luke expresses a lot. It's true. But it's funny how we can read all the Gospels, and they'll all say something different but the same. You know, so I believe in reading them all. Just because you heard the parable of the sower one time doesn't mean that, you know, you've heard all of it. You need to hear what Luke says about it. You need to hear what John says about it. You know, that's important. Because they all put emphasis on something that we need to focus on. All right. So Luke 11 and 1, and it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. He said unto them, When ye pray... Uh, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, uh, for we also forgive every one that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight? And say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. I want to make a quick point before we get into this, but if you go back to the Our Father prayer, if you look at it, it's short, but it contains everything that we need. You know, we've talked about this before. You address the Father, which is who Jesus Christ meant for you to get to know, of course, in Jesus' name you know, that are in heaven. Hallowed, holy is his name. His kingdom come, his will be done. So we understand that every believer has to bring forth the kingdom of the Lord and you have to accept the will of the Lord and want his will to be done through you. All this goes through us. You want to make a point? What does it mean by hallowed be thy name? Like holy is thy name. Holy, okay. You know, or separate, you know, um, uh, can't say worthy is thy name. Well, you can say that, but... It's kind of put in a special place that, you know, your name is above all, you know. So that's kind of like holy or separate, hallowed is thy name. All right. So then it says, um, you know, give us this day our daily bread. Now, bread alone doesn't just mean food. Mm -hmm. It also means what we need for growth in the Lord. So we want to have these things to be prepared, you know, because we don't live on bread alone. Mm -hmm. And forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone that is indebted to us. We have to ask for forgiveness all the time because the Holy Ghost will, as we grow, make you more conscious of the sin that is in your life. Why? Because sin is what separates us from the Lord. So we have to ask for forgiveness because there, every single day we need forgiveness from the Lord. So who are we to not forgive someone when every day you have done something to offend the Lord? So we have to ask for this. 
This says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Mm -hmm. So you want to be delivered from evil. You know, you don't want to walk in evil believing you're wearing the armor. If you can avoid it, then, then why not? Exactly. Why be tempted if you don't have to be? If, if God is telling you, don't, don't go down that block. You need to go here. Don't talk to this person today. You need to get into this. So we want to be led by the Lord in all affairs. So we'll pick it up in um, Luke 11 and 5, and it says, and he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, uh, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, uh, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. So you see, if you really are a friend and you really are on the side of that which is right and a person is in need, you're going to give that person what they need. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be someone, oh, well, I'm already in bed, I'm tired, I'm doing this and that. You are going to go according to what the will of the Lord is. Exactly. Okay? Because that's a, only, that's a person that has a true heart after doing the things that God wants. You're not going to make excuse. You know, it's just like you ever have those people, you ask them for money, or they'll say, you know, if you need anything, let me know. And you say, okay, well, I don't have any money. You know, can you help me out? And they'll say, are you sure? Are you sure? Sure. Because, I mean, you know, because, I mean, God will take care of all things. Okay, well, we're not talking about the Lord right now. I, I told you that I'm in need. So, you know, or, or you get parents that, or friends or anyone that will lend you money, but then they lecture you. And, I mean, rightfully so, it's theirs. But the, the fact of the matter is, if you do that, you don't really want to help. You know, it bothers you. It grieves you that this person has done this. So it's like, well, here you go, you know, or whatever. But, I mean, my mom used to do that all the time. My mom would, um, you know, say, Derek, if you need me, whatever. Okay, Mom, I need this. Well, aren't you a grown man? Don't you need this and that? Like, why don't you be more responsible and this and that? I mean, and, you know, they only love us is why they do it. But the point is, is you don't even want it by the time they give it to you because you just feel like, you know what, well, thank you for making me feel more like nothing. But if someone is in need and you can help, and give to that person. There is never a time that we, where you shouldn't help unless the Spirit tells you otherwise. So this is what he's addressing here. Verse 9. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. So the Lord is saying, hey, I'm here if, if you need me. But if you don't knock... How am I supposed to just answer your prayer? So God doesn't override our free will. If there's anything that we want in him, even if it's the power that he gave the disciples, you have to seek, ask, and knock. And the Lord knows that you're serious. If you ask the Lord one day and it doesn't come upon you, and then you say, oh, well, I'm not going to ask because he, you know, hey, you've got to seek. You've got to knock. You've got to ask. You've got to pay the price to do this because God's not going to give that to an immature believer. 
okay, only so you can glory in self and then fall away and go to hell. So you see, you have to, that fervent desire to serve him is what God looks at. You know what? You've never stopped asking me. Not only have you never stopped asking, you've been living that way and you've been really, you really believe. So therefore, I know you're not going to fall away at this point. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you what you need to continue. Mm -hmm. But if you see, we say a lot of things with our mouths and God knows that talk is cheap. Mm -hmm. We talk some good talk up until, you know, certain things happen. And then we're, uh, I don't really want to do it anymore. You didn't want to in the first place. You thought Jesus was a magic genie that you can rub and something will come out of it. But you've got to desire him. And as you desire, you build in character, and it makes you more like him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's only working with us, but he wants to give us what we need. But we have to show that thirst and hunger mm -hmm. for the truth to serve him. Yes, sir. Well, and seeking something is just in regular, everyday life. Yes, we're obviously we're supposed to seek Jesus Christ. But think of it this way, is that it's a journey That's right. that we're on. And it's like... The more you continue on the journey, the closer you get to the end. But if you stop and you take a break and you relax, well, that just takes you that much longer. Mm -hmm. So it is a journey of seeking Jesus Christ in our everyday life. It's true. It's like you can't just pray one day because he doesn't answer you. All of a sudden you give up on it. It's like, no, he wants to see how faithful you are to him. That's right. Absolutely. Carnal man is anxious. You know, he doesn't like to wait for anything but when god doesn't answer your prayer sometimes he's doing you a favor mm -hmm. it's not that god doesn't want to give you what he gave the disciples but he knows man you got to that's why he says the new jar holds the new wine because that jar has to be built up to where it can contain the spirit but if he just gave you all that at once you would go crazy because you wouldn't be able to understand god so as we go through relationship with him and we understand how he is and what he thinks and what he desires it becomes easier to be the jar that can hold the Holy Ghost. But if we're not aware of this and we're just desiring these things and he would have given them to you, all right, see, now that you know and now that he's given you everything you need, he's got to damn you if you don't listen. Mm -hmm. So you see how we grow in grace because, all right, now that you have the spirit, you and I talk face to face, but you still have some of the world in you that won't come out. It'll drive you crazy. The, the beast of the field will multiply against you because you haven't matured to the... That's like giving a six-year-old kid your keys. He wants to drive a car, right? All right, here you go. Go on out there and, and drive. Have fun. What if the child is going to be in danger because he's not mature enough to even understand what he's doing? Or, hey, what happens if I don't pay attention? I can kill someone or myself. They don't even think about that. A kid will just get in there and start driving, and then first little thing they see, maybe a puppy walking by there. Bang! Yep. You know, so you want to be able to pay attention. But we've got to be fit for it. All right? So that's why the Lord does you a favor sometimes in saying, no, not now. Keep seeking me. You'll have it. But I need you to mature in this because once you go that route, it's hard to turn back. You can't turn back after that. So he's a progressive God. All right, verse 11, and it says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, uh, will he offer him a scorpion? <laughs> Uh, if, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts uh, unto your children, 
How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask of him? So we understand that we can have the Spirit when we become baptized. You don't have to do anything to earn it. But you do have to mature so that you can be filled. Why? Because if you just go after it yourself, seeking the Spirit or, or having the Spirit, okay, now that you have a tank and you're driving, you don't know what to do with that tank. So God is a dynamo. God is a powerhouse. When you get full of God's Spirit, there's no messing around. The devil comes and sees you right away. Why? Because you become a threat to him if you are in the Spirit. So God wants us to grow in grace, understanding this war and what he desires for us, and that we have this complete armor that we may war a good warfare. But if he gives you all that now, the devil's not going to sit and wait, oh, look at that, a six-year-old full of the Holy Ghost. I'll wait for him to grow up, and then I'll come looking for him. No, he won't. He's going to try and destroy that child immediately to stop that growth from coming. So we everything has its season with the Lord, but if if... You know how to give good gifts unto men being evil. How much more will God do through you if if you ask, you know, correctly and you wait on that promise? That's right. You know, we have to wait on these things. All right, so it says, um, verse 14, And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. But some of them said, he casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. Now, you know what Beelzebub means, Lord of the dunghill, Lord of them that flies, another name for Satan. So they accused Jesus of doing the devil's work to cast out devils. And others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven. And he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because he say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. So we understand that Jesus here is talking about if Satan is really going against Satan, how can his kingdom last? It's the same thing with God's kingdom. And that's why God is slow to engraft people into his body. Why? And what I mean by getting into the body, okay, you can believe the truth and be baptized and you receive the Holy Ghost. But we all know that baptism in the spirit is something different. Mm -hmm. See, now, baptism in water is just your repentance coming before the Lord. Lord, I'm not going to do these things anymore. I'm going to live a different life. And, you know, you get the spirit, which makes you aware. But God is kind of, okay, now that you get it, I'm going to guide you to where you can be full of my spirit. But once Jesus baptizes you in the spirit, that is his stamp of approval to go. That is his stamp of approval. Hey, I've given you this because now you intend to do the work. But see, before that point, you see, God knows a lot of people come in and a lot of people drop out of this. So he doesn't want to give you that and then you'll be damned because you're not mature enough to handle it. Because once the Spirit is on you, he governs that you live a life after him. So God is slow to show power. He is slow to dictate everything in your life knowing that you can't handle those things just yet okay so this is important to know because if satan's kingdom runs that way where it's not divided neither is god's kingdom but see you come into the kingdom of god when you were baptized in the spirit why because you began to do things and say things that only heavenly power can give you only the spirit of god can give you but before that point you know it's questionable about who's saved and who's not i mean honestly 
I mean, even then, it's still because, you know, the Bible says there's going to be a great falling away. But God's kingdom is not divided either. But when he wants you to come in or he stamps his approval on you, you are of the body of Christ, which means you serve the Lord and you are on his side and not anyone else's. That's why you can pray in tongues for long periods of time. Why? Because he can now use you as a vessel to have his will done. But before that point, the flesh is just so strong that you can pray, but then you're like, I'm tired. You know, I, I want to go to bed. I don't, you know, but when you're in the spirit, spirit takes over. You just go from there. Right. Verse 19, and if I by, you were going to say something? Oh, okay. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. So he's making it clear that when these miracles begin to uh, happen with us and we are casting out devils, make no mistake, the kingdom of God is come upon you. All right, verse 20. But if I with the, oh, sorry, verse 21. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divided his spoils. So, he, you know, we did that teaching on a strong man. He's talking about how some people are caught up in strongholds. But when the Holy Spirit, who is stronger than all, comes upon them, then that person, you know, that those things can be taken away. But when you deal with the strong man of anyone in any faith, you're going to get some backlash because that demon has lived in that house for a long time. So the Bible says that he is armed and he keepeth his palace. This is why you say, all right, I'm going to hit them with scripture and I'm going to say it to where it makes perfect sense, but they still won't get it. Mm -hmm. Why? Because there's the strong man in there giving them supportive arguments against the Bible, making them, you know, well, if God really loved everybody, then why is evil here? You know, they'll, they'll say a lot of stuff, but, you know, you have to stick with the word that people might get saved. Okay, but I'm just saying that it's not going to be an easy thing to win a soul to Christ unless you are full of the Spirit. So, you know, he says that this strong man will fight back to keep that which he has. And then he says, verse 23, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Okay, so he's making it clear that anyone that is not led by the Spirit of God is God's enemy, really, because... The enemy can still use you. But when you are totally given over to Jesus Christ being our Savior and your Lord, then you obey everything that your Lord tells you to do. Mm -hmm. So if Jesus Christ has not become your Lord, though you may go to church, though you may do things, though you may teach Bible study, no matter what it is that you're doing, if Jesus Christ is not your Lord, then what happens to you is the devil can occasionally use you. So, see, we're never really in that safe place with the Lord until we are led by the Spirit in all affairs. Amen. So the flesh has to be subdued that we fall on the right side of Jesus. Because right. I can tell, like, Carlin is one of those people that you can tell everything that's being said, he's trying to hear the Lord's voice. I'm not trying to put anybody on a pedestal here. There's no one on this pedestal but Christ, okay? But the point I'm making is you can tell, like, when you're talking to Carlin, He's hearing somebody else, like the Lord is talking to him, where he's, okay, Lord, what does that mean? Does that make sense? Does that agree? I can read that, but you know what? That is our safety valve in obeying the Lord. I'm sure, Christina, there's times when you say things, Christina's looking like, 
You know, but and Sarah even gets there, look, I'm not too sure about that. That is your safety valve that you were being led by the Spirit in all affairs. Okay? Because, you know, the devil can be deceiving. So if we're not serving the Lord, you know, completely, and, you know, then we are occasionally serving the enemy because we're not helping to build in the kingdom. All right? So that makes clear. Let's go to Joshua 24 real quick. We'll start at verse 1. Have you done, Luke? Yeah. So you see, I'm aware of when, I know what it looks like when somebody's hearing from the Lord. I know because, you know, the Lord has to talk to you in order for you to understand. There's times you can be in and it's like you zone out because the Lord is either telling you, listen to that or don't listen to that. Right. Or take that with a grain of sand, you know, or whatever. But you cannot, I mean, the Holy Ghost is your safety valve. You don't want to hear anything without the Holy Ghost being present. You don't even want to listen to anyone teaching that doesn't have the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. That'll bring you some trouble. All right, Joshua 24 and verse 1, and Joshua gathered. Now remember, Joshua is another name for Jehovah's salvation. It means the same thing as Jesus. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel in Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. So you notice how Joshua brought all these people before the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nechor, and they served other gods. Now, if you guys are familiar with Abraham's life, because Abraham's father Terah was an idol worshiper. Abraham came from the land of the Chaldeans, which is where you would see Babylon and Iran and all that today. So he came from that land, you know, and God chose him because he recognized, my father believes in idols. My father, pre you know, he sends food to these dumb things. You know, he praises them and all this. One day, Abraham, you read this in the book of Jasher, he tore up all his father's idols. I mean, he broke them up with like, uh, axes and you know other things just destroyed them so when his father saw him his father got angry and loved these false gods so he ordered Abraham to be like arrested Abraham ended up being thrown in the lake of fire I mean in, in a, um, a pit of fire just like the Hebrew boys were okay he was put in the fire he and his friend his friend died because I don't think his friend was really that big into the Lord but Abraham was walking around just like the Hebrew boys were. And I get the impression that they drew their faith from what they heard Abraham do. And that's why you guys should read the book of Jasher too, because the Bible does reference it, and it does speak a lot about what's going on. And it'll make more sense to a lot of things in the Old Testament. But the point here is they're making a distinction between uh, even Abraham and his father. Just because your father has tradition and he believes in things, doesn't mean that you ought to go along with him if he's serving a false god. So you see, God is making some separation here between those who serve the Lord and those who don't. So that's why he's bringing up these people and he's bringing up Abraham's father. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right, let's go to verse 3. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and, and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir uh, to possess it. But Jacob and his children 
went down into Egypt. Now, here's another separation because you know that Isaac and Ishmael, who um, came from um, Abraham's maid, Hagar, you know, Ishmael is the father of the Arabs today, you know, and those people, but they had their own beliefs and God worked with Isaac. Then you get down to Jacob and Esau. There was another separation because Esau um, was told by Isaac and Rebekah, do not go down and marry into the Canaanite families and the Canaanite women. Why? Because that's not what God wanted. But they were of the tribe of giants, um, you know, the Canaanites. So Esau married into that family, so he had to go off into Mount Seir, where God worked with Jacob, who was faithful. And these guys were twins. So it just goes to show that God's separation came even amongst twins, those who would serve and those who would not obey. All right, where am I? Um, That's crazy because it's like the same being me, but it's all about your willpower. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, you want to be you don't want to be bound by blood. You want to be bound by spirit. Mm -hmm. Blood will deceive you. All right. So it says in verse five, I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them, and afterward I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and ye came unto the sea. And the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt, and ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season." This is why the Bible tells us many, in many cases, to count our blessings. Okay, we may not see them. They may not be that obvious every day. But the more sensitive we become in the spirit, we learn to really thank the Lord for everything he gives us, even just for a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. How much is that going to be worth when you follow the Lord? So it is good to count your blessings so you don't forget. Because human nature is to be ungrateful. You know, like you might remember something someone did two months ago. And all of a sudden, like you're breaking them off some disrespect. And the person's like, man, what's wrong with you? You're like, I don't know. You're getting on my nerves. You quickly forgot the things that this person has done for you. And I'm not saying you owe anyone anything but to love them, as the Bible says. But it is good to recognize when good is being done to you. Because an ungrateful nature is not God's. Mm -hmm. All right, so verse um, 8, and it says... And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side, Jordan, and they fought with you. And I gave them into your hands that ye might possess their land, and I destroyed them before you. Let's recognize here, we've heard the other side about six times already. Now we got to recognize that on the other side of the flood was what? You had the fallen angels, giants walking around. You had a rebellious people that went against God on the other side of the flood when Noah and his family landed was the rebirth period. Not that wickedness didn't follow them, but we got to speak of those who were in the world versus those who were born again. Because when you look at the flood, you know, Sarah brought this point up. How many weeks was it? Five and a half weeks? I mean, how long? Five months. I think it's five and a half months or something like that. The flood went on for 150 days or something. But if you look at that, you know, the 40 days rain symbolizes like the 40 weeks that a baby is in the womb. So after all this travailing and everything that's gone on, 
when that ended, they were born again unto a fresh start. And the number eight is always a symbol for rebirth. Okay, so if you look at Noah and his, and his family, they were eight people that God started over with. So that's why he keeps mentioning here the other side. It was those who wouldn't obey, those who of the world didn't take God's guidance, and now you're dealing with those that would, you know, on the other side with him. All right, so he destroyed them um, on the other side of the Amorites. Verse 9, Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Behor, to curse you. Now, you know how this happened. You know, uh, Balaam um, knew that they couldn't beat the children of Israel. No matter how many times they fought against the kingdom of God, they lost. Okay, they lost against Israel. So uh, Balaam went and got these beautiful Moabite women from, um, from the Moabites and brought them into the, the kingdom of Israel, brought them into the tribes. And there um, rose disobedience because people were looking at the women and desiring them instead of following the Lord. So you see, they, the devil has his snares and things that he brings in to separate us from God. We can't be separated from God uh, aside from our will. It takes our will to be able to follow the Lord. God will not override it. But if the devil can entice you to do anything outside of what God wants, then he's done his job, at least for a season. So that's how they cursed, um, you know, the children of Israel by bringing in something that would make disobedience arise. That's why we got TV today. Verse 10. But I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you uh, still. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over uh, Jordan and came unto Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you the Amorites, the Parasites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. Now, these giant tribes would be like a type of demons. Jericho would be like a type of stronghold that needed to be breaking, broken down. Now, you see, all these demons, all these tribes lived in this city of Jericho. They were brought down by what we just read back in Luke 11, a stronger than he came upon them and was able to break the walls down. So this is how they had claimed victory. Now, when we are being sanctified in the spirit, there are a lot of people, you know, we still have some demons that need to come out. You'd be surprised what's still left in your system that the Lord is trying to get rid of. So the, the Holy Ghost has to be stronger than those things. Well, he is. But if we yield our vessels to him, he'll break them down and we'll grow in Christ that much more. So this is symbolic for this. Verse 12. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. So this thing is not done through violence. Okay. Uh, and, I, and I have given you a, a land for which uh, ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, and the vineyards and olive yards uh, which ye planted, um, not do ye eat. So these giants, go ahead. You know what that verse reminds me of? is like that, that verse that says, you have labored, or you have done this, but it's not. You know what I say? That you have labored someone else's labor mm -hmm. and you have planned what someone else has done right. in the New Testament that's what you will eat the good of the land right. and you know this is another thing that the Lord had done is that these enemies 
they had all these things, you know, set up for them. I mean, they had giant crops. They had all this stuff, but they were only preserving them for the children of Israel, not even knowing it. So they had a life of abundance already prepared for them. You see how God had already prepared a place for them, just like he's doing with us today if we just yield to him. You don't have to try and build your own house. Let the Holy Ghost build it, renovate it, and get it prepared, and all these things will be added unto us. Verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods of your fathers, serve on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. So he says serve the Lord um, in sincerity and in truth. So you've got to be sincere to follow God. It doesn't. It can't just be a good idea at the time and then you want to be out of it. You've got to believe the words of God and want this for yourself. And that's why you read constantly through the Bible about having a pure heart. Serve the Lord with a pure heart. And this is what he was telling them back in Luke 11 about serving him and seeking, asking, and knocking. You see how this ties together that if they serve with a pure heart, God will add unto them. But, you know, you got to put away those other gods. And this is where the problem is coming for a lot of believers is that, you know, yeah, I know that God is the way, but I still like to do my thing from time to time. These are the things that war against what the Spirit of God wants to do with us. And that's why in order to really serve the Lord effectively, though we may be in the world and doing things of the world, you can't have hope in this life. You really can't. If God decides to give you a job where you're doing something, but you're doing his will too, then awesome. But you can't believe that this is what's sustaining you. That's what trips us up. That it becomes so important that God goes on the back burner. Yeah. I found those verses. All right, what is it? John 4, 37 and 38. And herein, this is Jesus saying, is that saying true? One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that were on you bestowed mm-hmm. no labor. One man laboreth, and ye uh, are entered into their labor. That's right. We went into that last week, so you can even say that the giants were sowing for the, the children of Israel to reap. You know, so we just have to be faithful to what we're called to do. All right, verse 15, and it says, And if, ye will, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the God of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So that's awesome because you see a lot of times, and I've felt this even in churches where I've gone to talk to people, that when you start mentioning eternal life, when you start talking about winning souls, when you start talking about giving all you can for the kingdom of God, you wonder why you get this backlash of people that'll look at you and get angry. And I'm like, man, what did I say that was wrong other than what was written in the Word? But what they're struggling with is they think that I'm making serving the Lord appear evil. Why? Because they love the world. They want to do the world things, so then they get mad, you know, because you're telling them, well, this is what the Lord actually wants us to do. So they start thinking to themselves, okay, if I listen to you, there's a chance that I may have to give up my mansion. I may end up losing my job. I may have my wife even run out on me or my husband because I now am serving the Lord and they don't really want to get into that. So you see, they look at serving the Lord as evil because it goes against their will. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, and you get to the point or the crossroads of what God's will is and what your will is. And this is where the conflict takes place. So Jesus says, he that doesn't gather with me, you scatter. Because if you are with Jesus, then you go along with the will of Jesus. But if you're going against Jesus or the ways of the world, the Bible already makes clear that friendship with the world is the enemy of God. So this is where people get hung up in, what do I do? You yield to the Spirit of God if you believe. And that's why you can't serve the Lord if you believe. Religious people get offended over speaking negative about the world. Godly people already know what you're saying is true. All they want to know is, how, how do I get empowered to do just that? So their will is not against the Lord. They want to be equipped. But as for the others, man, they hate what you said, and they want to fight you because of what you believe in. So they are really of the world and not of God. So Joshua said, I don't know what anyone else is going to do. But after all this testimony I gave you from verse 1 to verse 15, and I saw the goodness that the Lord has done for me, even in all my filth and all that I've been involved in and all he's delivered me from, I am going to serve the Lord. That is what he's making clear. You know, if you're in my house, that's what you're going to be doing. But he gave them the option to go and serve the other gods or to come on board with the Lord. So you can say right now, they're at a crossroads. What is it that you're going to choose? The Lord leaves this before us each and every day. Verse 16, and the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein uh, we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord for he is our God. So we got to get brought to this point to where we remember and that's why it is good to review and go over things that the Lord has done for you because you will forget if you're not reminded of this. So every now and then we need that little checkup. Oh, well, when you were homeless, what did God do for you? You got to remember these things because it keeps you faithful and it keeps your heart softened to where God can work through you. Because you're like, yeah, you know what? I wouldn't even be where I am now if it wasn't for him. That makes you easier to serve. But we can forget sometimes. So, you know, we want to do what he says to do. Are you going to say something, anybody? I've just lately been thinking about just how much of a, like, a miracle it has been that God has transformed my life. Mm -hmm. Like, just that alone just wows me. And you know what makes me feel good about it? And, you know, you guys may be able to see some things also, but I saw the changes of everybody that came through. I knew. See, it's one thing when people know where you come from and what you've been through, and then you see the Lord's glorious work work through them, then you know there has to be a God. I know that I'm not even the same teacher that I was six months ago or even a year ago. You guys remember when I was yelling and screaming, you know? And, <laughs> you know, but it's just we are constantly progressing in Christ, and that's what's awesome is what God does. All right, so from here, let's go to... Um, Let's go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Because we're going to jump from old to new, like to make some comparisons.
Matthew 25, going to. Man, yeah, man, I, I love when the Lord comes and shows me what I was every now and then. Why? Because I start, you know, feeding on the world. There's certain things that start coming upon you. You need to be reminded. All right, Matthew 25 and verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Now notice in verse 5 it talks about, you know, well, you know that these are five wise and five foolish. If you look at verse 5, it says, while the bridegroom tarried, meaning like, you know, he waited until it was time for him to come, they all slumbered and slept. Now we got to understand, those who sleep, I think that the Lord is showing here, are those who are believers. Why? Because you might sleep. But you're not, that means you're dead to things, but you're still aware of what's going on and you try and improve upon your relationship. When you slumber, it's almost like you're in a dead sleep that is like slothful and not like, you know, just sleeping or doing whatever. So we understand that these two slept for different reasons. One slept because they were in their rest and they have done what the Lord has called and they were just waiting for the Lord to come. The slumberer wasn't even aware of what time it was or even that he might come. And you see, they took no oil. They had no relationship or they didn't keep the relationship. They didn't keep that fire burning. They didn't, you know, keep that desire to please the Lord. They just wanted to go and live their lives, have fun, try and equate God with the world. And because of that, they took no oil because they were secure in their relationship with God. So they didn't feel a need to work on it. So this is the difference between these two here. Anyone wants to add anything? Uh, yeah, that, that's the first time I've seen the distinction between slumbered and slept. Mm -hmm. They're not being together. They're actually conjected. Like mm -hmm. and is that conjunction, but if they're not saying they slumbered and slept is the same thing. Mm -hmm. One did this and one did that. Mm -hmm. Because the one that slept, you know, it's kind of like you can even say those that are asleep in Jesus, those that are dead to the world and alive to Christ. But a slumberer is like a, you ever see someone slumber, they're just laying all over, out, unconscious, you know, like just no care in this world. They're just yeah. out of it, you know. So, I mean, it's just so funny how, you know, one slumbers and the other sleeps. Question. Yeah. I'm confused. Uh -huh. um, how do you sleep in Jesus? Because there's like, I know there's in Luke, it talks about the man that, um, that's a believer that was sleeping and mm -hmm. he came and called on him and he was, wasn't prepared. Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of like this, like, even though we know that these 10 virgins, like some are alive and some, I mean, well, they're all alive, but this is also comparing to the kingdom of God. Like if you go to first Thessalonians four, it talks about those that are asleep in Christ. So matter of fact, hold where you are. That's a good point. Let's go there real quick. First Thessalonians four. start at verse 13. Matter of fact, we could just start at 1 because it makes a lot of sense. All right, so 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1, it says, 
Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of oh, by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so um, so ye would abound more and more. So you notice here, like this kind of goes back to the virgins. He's talking about those who walk in Jesus, that they please God, that they abound more and more. So they improve, they grow. Then it says, for ye know what commandment uh, we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Now, you know, fornication can be spiritual and it can be fleshly. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which are worldly people, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Now you can say so far, all these warnings that were given, the wise understood, oh yeah, but the what do you call it? The foolish would look at this like, well, I got saved. You know, that's good enough for me. Verse seven, for God have not, yeah, for God have not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despised, despiseth not man, but God, uh, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Now I want the Lord to explain this right, because I don't want to put my own spin on this. But it says from all the warnings it brings up in verse 8, he, that, um, he therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man but God. So you can say the foolish virgins in some ways they despised having, they despised having oil. They despised having that relationship. Right, they kind of fooled around like it was no big deal. So it says you don't despise man, you despise God that you won't keep that relationship going. All right, I'm not trying to put my own spin on it. Verse 9, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. So you see, the second time already, he's talking about increasing, staying in, not being separated from and then it says, and that ye study and be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So we understand as we get further down in the parable of the, um, of the virgins that these people are doing, he commands that they do their own business, be quiet and study and work with your own hands as we commanded you. Meaning salvation is an individual affair. We're going to find out why this is important that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. So remember, those five virgins that were wise, they had everything they needed, the foolish did not. But I would not have you ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will bring will God bring with him. So let's make a comparison here. Now you know that part of it would kind of be okay, he's talking about the dead here, but these are also people that have gone into the rest of Jesus that died serving Jesus that will be lifted. Because if you think about the five wise and the five foolish, 
let's just say, I know the parable he's speaking to people, obviously, that are alive. But when you look at the fact that it's talking about the coming of the Lord, you get what I'm saying? And the people are, are some will be risen and some will remain asleep. And that's why he says asleep in Jesus, asleep of the oil, asleep serving God, that they died for what was there. Because at the end, we know that we're all not going to be alive at the coming of Jesus Christ. So does it mean like the people that are actually a dead? Well, he is speaking of the dead here, but that's the reason he used the term sleep and not dead. Because when you, I mean, but the Bible does speak of being dead in because Christ. Will be back alive. Right, in some way. So it's kind of like a sleep. But he's also talking about from, from verse 1 to verse uh, 15 or 14 about those who were wise that took the instruction of the Lord, that served him, ever increasing, as it said multiple times, that they kept oil in their lamps. They were not ones to let their lamps go dry. So what I mean by asleep, it means that some people took their relationship for granted, those that were alive and died or whatever, at the coming of the Lord, and those that were wise that kept their oil, kept their relationship with him, and died or, or died or alive and moved on. Because the parable of the ten virgins, I know it may sound confusing, but the parable of the ten virgins is about the coming of the Lord. That's all it's speaking of. Now, some may be alive, some may be dead. Some might have, you know, worshipped till the end. Some may have gone away. But the point he's making of, there were some asleep. You know, that, that while they slumbered and slept, those that were asleep that were wise, hey, they were ready. Well, Lord, now that you come, I know I'm coming up out of the ground with you, or I know that while I'm alive, I'm going to be with you because I kept my relationship or I died keeping my relationship. But as for those who don't believe, whether they're alive or dead, they were foolish. Mm -hmm. So for that cause, they were held out. Does that make any sense? Because I don't want to... I guess I'm getting confused because the ten virgins in that story are alive, mm -hmm. but then we're trying to compare it to sleeping... So I'm just confused on like being alive and, and, and sleeping. To me, that just sounds bad. Like, All right. Like, like if you go to Colossians, Christ, right, I got you. But if you go to Colossians 3, what does it talk about? Being dead to Christ. Yeah. That if you die with Christ, that you will be alive with Christ, right? Yeah. Okay. So if you look at verse 4, I mean, um, not that verse 4, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, and we go through all of this, how could we possibly keep this if we're not dead to the world and alive to Christ? You get what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? Yeah. You still, but you don't get what are, I'm saying, some right? Are, uh, the point that you just brought up about being asleep and dead at the same time, in some regards, in I can't remember what chapter it is, but it says, Awake thou that sleepest. So that is saying. And arise from the dead, and Christ shall right. give thee light. It's also right. making reference, though, of die out to the world, so you have to die out to the world and be alive in Christ. So some people are walking around... But even Henry Groover said, you can't kill me. Right. I'm dead in Jesus. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? So dead and sleep, I guess I kind of used them in a you know way that probably made it confusing, but he's speaking about those that did not take their relationship for granted that Christ lived in them. Christ is that oil, okay, that lives in us. Now, you know the story some left their oil in their lamps and others are taking them away. So let's go back there. But no, if we need to cover this again, that's fine, you know, because I know in the way that I presented it, it seemed kind of... Eh, I think that's yeah. just something that's... If this isn't the first time that I've, like, kind of got confused by mm -hmm. reading the scriptures, getting just that whole concept of, like, 
Like sometimes it'll make sense in scripture, and then I go to another scripture, and I'm like, oh, now I'm totally lost. Like right. with the whole like, dead and alive in Christ. No, I get what you're saying, but like that's you're what. Dead, but you are alive, and it's. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like too with us being dead. It's like we're completely dead to the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it can't, it can't touch us at all. But obviously, like us being dead to the world means that we don't really owe the world anything. You know, it's almost like. If we died, it's like the world wouldn't miss us anyways because we're already gone. We have no connection. And we don't care about the world. All we are is Christ conscious. And that's why the five wise virgins, let's let's go back. Let's start at verse 1. But it says, I mean, maybe this will, Lord willing, you know, make sense or whatever. But it says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels um, with their lamps. So if you were to look at what the vessel is, okay, I mean, or the lamps, the lamp is the light. The light is the Holy Ghost, which shines light on the shoe bread or on Jesus Christ, that that's what we're supposed to be. But if you don't keep the spirit with you or keep your relationship, your lamp will burn out, you know, like your, um, your light. So then it says... Um, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Uh, so, you know, this could be looked at for many reasons because it says the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. This could mean those that are, you know, dead or alive or being caught unawares because you're still in the world and you're not with him. So as he comes, you know, it says slumbered and slept, they'll be resurrected because the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. Even those that are not of Christ are going to see the coming of the Lord. Why? Because they're going to be judged afterwards. All right? So that's why I know this is a parable of people being alive, but that slumbered and slept stuck out to me today. I felt like the Spirit was telling me a slumber is someone that sleeps in the world or in himself, but the slept is those that die in Christ or are alive in Christ. You know, like sleep in Christ, like resting, in other words. Not really like... Right, yeah, not really like dead, like, you know, like how could you do anything for the Lord if you're just, you know, dead? Mm -hmm. So that's why, um, well, I was trying to make that point. you sleep in Christ, you're alive in Christ, but then you're dead in Christ. Right, right. Like a, like a bear slumbering or something, too, for like winter. Mm -hmm. like they eat, like they fulfill themselves that mm -hmm. way, like in the flesh. Mm -hmm. And then they just out dead to the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just to get by. Exactly. Verse 6. Now, you can look at this as the coming of the Lord here. And at midnight, you know, at number 12, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there was a cry made, behold, the bridegroom cometh, and ye go to meet him. And that's why if you go back to 1 Thessalonians 4, it says that the Lord from heaven shall descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. The announcement here is being made, you know, like in, in Christ. But it says, um, I'm in nine. Okay. No, that's what I'm like. Wait a minute. Where are you leading me? Sorry, seven. Is it seven? Okay, so, and at midnight there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. This is Jesus. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. So just imagine the coming of Jesus Christ is coming. You got the sky cracking open, all right? All this is going on. The sun and the moon are down, and you're like, oh, man, I'm not ready. 
So you go to somebody, you might go to your church, go to your pastor, go to whomever. Hey, man, can you lay hands on me real quick or you pray for me? Because, you know, I mean, this is getting ready to go down. You know, like you're scared to death. And they're like, let's see what they say. But the wise answered, saying, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. Um, but go ye rather to them uh, that sell and buy for yourselves. So what are they telling you? You need to seek a relationship for yourself. This is how I got mine. Go and get yours. Now, this is the great time to be selfish. Why? Because it took everything in you to get to this point where you are ready for Christ to work with you or to or to take you. And see, that's why a lot of people, we got to get out of this group thing of, man, we're all walking in the kingdom together. I guarantee you for anybody that you hold dear that is unsaved, that you are striving with and praying and hoping, when that sky cracks open and you see Jesus Christ and you hear him calling you, you are not even going to be aware of who's behind you. Believe me, it could be your mom, your dad, Christina, you know, and they're yelling or calling, Sarah, you know, tell them about her. And you're just going to see that light and you just, man, that's just going to fade away. The moment has arrived. I'm going in. So, you know, that's going to happen when, oh, not so. Buy for yourselves, man. I waited all my life for this moment. I told you, you didn't listen. Hey, I'm going on in the kingdom. So it's going to be a frightening time. So anyway, back on track. So it says, and while they went uh, to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in and shut to the marriage and the door was shut. And shut, I mean, with him to the marriage and the door was shut. So this can be looked at even as, as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the coming of the son of man. They were eating, they drank, they were marrying, they gave into marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. So you see how this can all play out with those who are ready and those who are not ready. By that time is up. You know, there's nothing that you can do. And Sodom and Gomorrah and all the others. So the door is shut. All right, so then it says, uh, Afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. So you can imagine that even the wise virgins were doing things for the kingdom of God. Why? Their oil and their lamps stayed lit. They prayed and fasted. They won souls. They went out, you know, seeking the Lord. And he had others that played around. And they thought that, you know, the relationship they had when they first got saved is what they had afterwards. Now, you know you can't feed on the world or anything and think your light's going to stay lit. You have to relight that light in Christ by seeking him and the Holy Ghost to come upon you. So you see, the door was shut and they didn't make it in. But, you know, those that were for the Lord, they didn't take it. I mean, they took it seriously. But those that would not, they played around. And, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So you see how 13 puts it back together? Because you're talking about the coming of the Lord. So whether these virgins are alive or asleep, they're all going to see Jesus Christ, which the Bible makes clear, every eye shall see. But those that wanted him, you know, they're ready. Those that, that you know, wanted him but wasted time or didn't want him, Man, they're caught like unawares, like the Bible says. Jesus will come as a thief in the night. He'll show up at your most inopportune time, and you, oh, I thought all this other stuff was supposed to happen before you come. Now, the Bible does have its line where it plays stuff out, but you can die tomorrow, and that's it. Now what? 
You know, I mean, you don't have to wait for the Antichrist to come on the scene. You are going to meet Jesus tonight. And that's something to think about. So we've got to have ourselves ready because if we're not gathering for the kingdom, then we're like these virgins that are just scattering. You know, you're not doing anything for that time. You're making the work of the believer harder because you're not even contributing. So in many ways, you scatter, you know, if you're not gathering. It's funny that it tells me to go buy it too. Like it says, mm -hmm. go and buy these things mm -hmm. for yourselves. But you can't even buy your way into the kingdom. That's like, right. It's almost like humorous. Uh-huh. And even when the Bible says, oh, buy from me that. gold, tried in the furnace of, of affliction, then you've got to go through. You know, you need to pull... Right, and that buried treasure that he put in earthen vessels, hey, it's time to crack it open now, but it's too late. I'm not helping you out. So, you know, it really is an individual affair when you're going to hear those words of other believers telling you, hey, man, I can't help you out. I don't even hear you. I'm going to wait for the Lord because he's here. You know, and that's going to be terrifying for people. So, you know, we just need to stay on point with him and gather for the kingdom of God. You can gather in intercession and prayer. Until we get built up, pray for the saints. Pray for people that are out there struggling. You know, pray that people get saved. Take that time to be used as a vessel so that God can use you. And I'm not preaching works. I'm talking about gathering for the kingdom of God. But there's always something that you can do for the kingdom until we all mature to the point of soul winning and doing whatever. There's always something you can do for the kingdom. Even going around telling people, you know, the Lord loves you. What's your relationship like? You know, seek the Lord while he may be found. All those things are gathering. They're not scattering. But when you scatter, man, it's like you don't really care one way or the other. It's like, man, or you can say, well, you know, I don't think that you need to serve the Lord to love people. You're still scattering. Why? Because you're trying to influence people to follow you. And that's why there are no neutral places that people can rest in. You're either working for one or the other. All right, verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man travailing into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and another one. And every man, according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained two other. And he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained uh, beside them five talents more. So you recognize here that this guy's gathering. Lord, you gave me five. All I'm going to do is build upon what you have given me. So he's using, and you know, I like the word talent because talent means like weight or measure of gold or metals or whatever, but it also can be talent within you. God gave you a gift of teaching. God gave you a gift of singing. God gave you a gift of praise. He gave you a gift of preaching or whatever it is. But what he gave you, that talent is to be used for the Lord. So imagine God giving you the ability like Whitney Houston. I mean, you'll probably never find another singer that could sing like she could. God gave her perfect pitch, everything. And she chose her talent to go and sing for the devil. And you know how many women wanted to be like Whitney Houston? You know how many men wanted to be with Whitney Houston? But she was not, you know, 
in the Lord. It wasn't like she turned them back to Jesus. She kept people in the world. So her talent was used to scatter and not to gather. Because you got some people saying, man, I could sing too. And all the money she's making, man, I'm not singing in a church where you can't make that kind of money. I want to go and sing for the world. So you see, Whitney scattered. She wasn't gathering. But she used her talent to serve the devil. And you see what he did to her when he was done? He chewed her up and spat her out. Where God would have preserved her unto a holy life. And eternal, you know, eternal, uh, eternal life when she was done with that. And I'm not trying to downplay anybody. Her story is sad, but, you know, it's amazing how the word talent is used here. Mm-hmm. All right, so then it says, um, where am I? I think I'm in verse uh, 16. 21. Am I all the way down there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, 21. And it says, his Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the of the Lord. So notice how when they were here, they were servants. But when they were there, they were rulers. You see how God multiplies and he adds to you. He's got big plans for his people, for those who remain faithful. He didn't even say you were faithful over everything I called. He said, though thou were faithful over few, I will make thee faithful over many. God's not asking for much. He just wants people to serve him. All right, so then it says in 22, He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have uh, gained two other talents beside them. Um, His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So even though they all had different assignments, the Lord gave them the same fate. You're just as good as the guy that I gave five talents to. Why? Because you were faithful with what I had given you. You know, that's what's important. We can't measure what the Lord gives us in comparison to what anyone else. What the Lord is recognizing is these people are working. These people believe me so much so that they are willing to do what I say. Now, I know a lot of people will use the term, well, you don't work for the kingdom of God. No, you don't work for your salvation. But you do do works for the kingdom when the Holy Ghost leads you unto those works. And that's why James says, faith without works is dead. He said, you want to show me your faith without your works? I'll show you my faith by my works. Paul said, I come not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I come with the demonstration of the spirit and of power. So instead of just being a talker, you know, you can be a doer. That is a complete ministry of Christ. Why would he fill you with the spirit to have you do nothing? That doesn't make any sense. He wants you now to go down to the hospitals and lay hands on the sick, raise the dead if need be, cast out devils from people's lives that they might be saved. So you see, if you're faithful with what God has given you, he adds unto it. But one thing God is not going to do is put his spirit on a slothful person. If you're not doing things for the kingdom, why should he add to you? You're not using the oil that he gave you. And that's why those wise virgins, they went and did what what, but they took oil with them. I'm going to need this for the journey. All right. You're not going to need that for the journey if you're sitting around. But I think what's confusing people is salvation and works. Okay. Like some people think, okay, but you're saved by grace through faith. Yes, you are. And you are saved. But the thing is, is once you were saved, 
Once you've been sanctified, once you're full of the Spirit, like Jesus Christ was, what did Jesus do? He returned in power of the Spirit. He came to preach the gospel unto the poor. I mean, you know, to set the captives free, to heal them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is what he did. The disciples, excuse me, they waited in that room, in the upper room, right? Remember, 120 of them. Then the power came upon them, and they went out and began doing everything for the kingdom. But I think that where people get confused is they confuse salvation with works. You know, now, if you have faith, your faith will lead you unto good works, but you're not saved because of your works. That's what's confusing people. Because people are thinking anytime you say work for the kingdom, well, wait a minute, we don't work for the kingdom. Yes, you do. You don't work for salvation. But the work for the kingdom, Jesus said, why would you gather with me and scatter? I mean, you know, you either gather or you scatter. Does that sound like work or what? You know, because if you're gathering, Jesus said he called people into his vineyard that they may work. Remember, he said that the laborers are few. If you're a laborer, what are you? You're a worker for the kingdom of God. So, you know, the, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. So God does want us to work, but you're not working for your salvation. You're working unto the kingdom to build God's kingdom. Yes, sir. When it talks about the sower. The sower, the seed fell on good ground. That's right. In Thirty fold, sixty, and a hundred. So mm-hmm. it's like you bring people in. Right, you're, you're doing something for, for the kingdom. Exactly. But I think what's confusing people is they're getting like works for salvation mixed up with works for the kingdom. No, you don't work your way to salvation. You are saved through faith because you believe God and what He said, and you accept that gift because it's free. But now that you're saved. He fills you with his spirit to do his work, to go out and to preach the gospel to people. That's right. But you get a lot of people want to deceive people with this because they want to tell you, no, you're saved through works of faith, lest any man should boast. That is true, but that's not even the argument. Why would Jesus say, come into my vineyard and work? Why would he mention laborers? Why would he mention talents? Why would he mention sowing? Because he's speaking of those that are gathering for the kingdom and not scattering. So that's why I don't want to confuse anyone in here because I can tell at times when you mention works, you know, you get this look like, oh, I heard of that word. You're an antichrist. That ain't got nothing to do with it. He's talking about building for the kingdom, winning souls. He that winneth souls is wise. How do you win a soul if you say or do nothing? Exactly. If you do absolutely no work for the kingdom, how do you win them? He's talk, Paul's talking about wearing the armor and going into war in and, and Corinthians 10, man, breaking down strongholds that people might be delivered. Jesus came to set the captives free, and he doesn't expect any less from any of us. But if you're doing this for salvation, then you have failed because that is not what it's called to do. You are saved because you believe God. That's why you get the Holy Ghost. Now, the Holy Ghost leads you Unto doing work for the kingdom. Does that make any sense at all? Or and I feel like the word work can kind of be scary, but like I think about people that like actually love their jobs mm-hmm. and they're like, I can't believe I get paid to do this, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's really how it should be with like us listening to the spirit, mm-hmm. you know, us listening to God. It's like it doesn't feel like work when he tells us that's to do right. it. We're just like, Yes, Lord, you want me to pray for that person? That's exactly that's what right. I'm gonna go do. Exactly. So that's that's considered like work. You're not out there with a, you know, 
uh, hard hat and you know you're out there just chucking away you are laboring but Paul labored he said I labor with you in birth pains till Christ be formed in you so I mean you're definitely in the kingdom doing work but if you're going to say I'm going to work my way because I want to be saved man you're already off track you've already may as well give it up and try again because you can't earn salvation but if the spirit lives in you there will be evidence of it. And that's what Jesus said. You know, him that believeth and is baptized will be saved. He showed the signs of them that believe. They will speak in new tongues. They will, you know, cast out devils. Casting out devils is a dirty work. Hopefully I can get some tarp up in here so we can start doing that too because it's going to be some nasty things you're going to see, you know, going on. But, you know, those things are, you know, doing things for the kingdom. That's all I'm saying. All right. Where am I? <laughs> I think I'm in um, <laughs> verse 23. You going to make a point? Or? No. Oh, okay. I think it's verse 23. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, um, lo, there thou hast, uh, that is thine. So this guy misjudged the Lord, called the Lord unfair. And this is what you're getting in a lot of churches when people don't understand what works and salvation are. Two different things. They'll tell you you're preaching works because... They don't want to hear doing anything for the kingdom. Jesus gave commandment for them to do. Now, this last guy had the easiest job, but he says, I'm not going to do. And I think that when we say work for the kingdom, some people think, well, if the Lord is telling you to do this, then that's what you're commanding me to do. No, I don't know what the Lord is telling you to do. All I know is what he's telling me to do. But one thing God does not have is a slothful kingdom. Look at verse 26. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore, so he's letting him know, thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. So he is expecting them that you should have gone and done what I had told you to do, that I may have interest on what was done, which happened to the other guys. He brought in five, Jesus added unto him. But with this particular individual, he's, you know, well, I hid the money, I was afraid, I didn't want to do this, I didn't want to do that. And he's saying, Yo, you're wicked and slothful. This is Jesus talking. Verse 28, take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath, that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him uh, that hath not uh, shall be taken away even that which he hath. So, you know, the Holy Ghost can come upon us, but the Holy Ghost doesn't have to stay upon us. And that's why those lamps went out earlier in Matthew 25. God is not going to rest his spirit on slothfulness. That's why we can grieve the Holy Ghost. He can be urging us, man, come on. You were baptized in the spirit for this. But you're like, man, I don't know. I'm scared. I don't, you know, whatever. So you lack faith. And the only reason you lack faith 
is not because of the Holy Ghost. You lack faith because you're adding something with the Holy Ghost. Believe me, when the Holy Ghost falls on you, it is time to go. Why? Because he's here for that purpose. Let's get the job done. What was the evidence of the disciples going out and preaching the gospel? What happened? They spoke with new tongues and they went out preaching the gospel. So that was the sign that, hey, my approval is on you. Let's get busy. I'm not saying we still can't grow. Of course we can. But when you, um, you know, think that there's nothing that you need to do, the Holy Ghost will just, you know what? I'll get back to you. I need to go rest on somebody that's willing to go and do this. And this is why, you know, there are times we get the urge to do more for the Lord. And then there's times, man, it just feels like, why even bother? It's because you're calling the Spirit on you in prayer. You're asking the Lord to do things through you. And the Spirit will come on you. But then when the Spirit says it's time to go, we're kind of back in, well, I got, you know, I got other things going on, Lord. So the Spirit is like, you know what? Off I go. You know what I mean? But he's not going to just leave you. That's why you feel grieved at work. He's urging you. You know when you feel guilty when you ain't open your Bible in a few days? It's, but he's urging you, man, come on. Let's get this done. You know, because there's, there's things that we can do. And we're like, but I got other stuff going on. And, we get well, flesh mode. Exactly. And all of a sudden, the spirit will just... Well, when you're ready, let me know. But when the spirit comes on us... He doesn't come on us to do nothing. We got to recognize that when we're feeling strong in the spirit, it's because, man, he is urging you, man, to get busy. When the spirit fell on Jesus, they went immediately into the wilderness and then from there unto the miracles of God. So just when we get to the point of baptism in the spirit, spirit comes upon us. We speak in tongues. We do whatever. Man, the Lord has already got the next ministry lined up for you. Hey, Carl and Christine and Sarah, you didn't know you were going to lay hands on the sick this week? So the Spirit is always, that's why it talks about the increase. He's always leading that you might do more for Him. But He is a God, He is a Spirit of progression. Because Jesus was a Savior of progression. God the Father is a God of progression. And of course, this is done with grace. But, you know, if you don't gather, you scatter. And those are the words of Jesus. You know, we don't gather in taking prisoners. We gather in winning souls. So if we're not winning souls, or at least attempting to, or praying for the saints that are out there, we're scattering. I don't know. Does that make sense? All right. So he says in verse, uh, where am I? Uh, 29. Mm. Take therefore the talent from him and give it to him which have ten talents. For unto every one that hath uh, shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him uh, that, have not, that have not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable. So if you're unprofitable, that means that God was expecting profit. Let's just make this clear. That means his tank is empty. Uh, cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if anybody doubts this, go to Matthew 7, where he says that you should bring forth fruit. And everyone that doesn't bring forth fruit is what? Hewn down and cast into the fire. So it's the same message that he's preaching here. So, you know, the, the Holy Ghost just wants to get busy and do something. Let's go to Exodus 32. 
Well, that was on somebody's list. But yeah, if you're trying to do this and earn the Lord's respect, I tell people, man, stop where you are. Don't even bother because that's not what it's about. You're not earning his respect. If you are like your big brother and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and God is your father, you are busy for the kingdom of God. But, you know, you got to have the spirit, too. You ain't just going out there trying to do something, you know. But eventually we're all to be made like he was. All right, Exodus, I believe that's where I am. Yep. Oh, Exodus 32. Did I say 36 or 32? All right, so I'm the one that went to 36. Exodus 32 and 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us, uh, for uh, for as for this Moses... The man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, uh, we want not what is become of him. So you see, while the cat's away, the mice will play. Same thing that happened to the ones with the talents. While Moses is up there trying to get the Ten Commandments for this rebellious people, they're like, well, let's build us other gods. This is why the Lord commanded to seek, ask, and knock in Luke 11. Because we may pray to the Lord for something to come, but if it doesn't come yet, we start getting, you know misplaced. You know, we start, well, I'm just going to do this until then. No, we have to have a desire to follow him. Verse 2, and Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the gold earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. He received them at his hand, and fashioned it with the graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. Now, this is one of the gods of Egypt. Made them a molten calf, and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast uh, to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You see? Slothfulness. Verse 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go go get thee down for thy people, which uh, thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have worshipped them a molten calf and have worshipped it. I mean, they have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, uh, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. So we understand that even with us, these sorts of things can kind of go on because You know, it's just like if the Lord saved your life and gave you one of abundance and you start to believe that it's your job is who's taking care of you. In many ways, you have replaced God with a molten calf. Why? Because you know that God is the one who sustains. But when you start believing in this, you shut off the spirit. You offend the Lord because you're seeking other means outside of him. Verse 10. 
Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. So you see what idolatry does to the Lord, how he gets angry. He told Moses, you know what, leave me alone, because right now my anger is waxing hot. All right, so um, let's see. Um, oh, verse 11. And Moses besought the, um, the Lord, uh, his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath hot, uh, wax hot against thy people? And thou which broughtest forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say for mischief, uh, did he uh, bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Uh, turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. So Moses is pretty bold talking to the Lord like that, telling the Lord to repent. You know, and stop thinking of evil because you promised that you would deliver these people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as of the stars of heaven in all this land that I have spoken of will, of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it for, inherit it forever. All right, and the Lord repented of this evil which he thought to do unto this people. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain. The two tables of his testimony were in his hand, and tables were written on both on both their sides, on one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God uh, graven upon the tables. And then, and when Joshua heard the noise of the people. As they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise, a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. So these people are praising this calf, and they're not longing for the Lord. Verse 19, And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, and he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them on the, on the, uh, um, break them beneath the mount. So you see, the Lord okayed it and said, "Okay, I'm not worried about this because Moses is like me, and he doesn't even know it. God, you know, intercedes for us. Moses interceded for the children of Israel. God hates idolatry." Moses didn't realize he hated idolatry. So while Moses gets down to the bottom and sees this, he has the same reaction of the Lord. So you see, if we are children of the Lord and serving him, we are going to act very much like our father will. Why? Because we have his spirit. So that's just something to look at. All right, verse 20. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and destroyed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. Moses is not kidding around here. He got that mad. He tore that thing up and powdered it and poured it in water and said, yeah, now you guys drink this. If you don't like the taste, this is how God feels for your idolatry. And Moses said unto Aaron, what did this people unto thee that thou hast brought uh, so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, 
Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For, uh, for as for this, Moses the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not uh, what is become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. Yeah, so he's sitting there lying, knowing that he had a hand in it, and he wanted to, you know, do this. He told half the truth. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. And when he talks about he's seen them naked, they're out of the protection of God now because they served other gods. And this is Aaron's fault for building his calf that they could make. Verse 26, Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who was on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from the gate, and go out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell in, um, of the people that day about 3,000 men. So you don't want to fool around with God. You want to be on his side no matter what is going on. Because when judgment comes from the top, if you're not gathering, you scatter. And see, Moses reacted worse than the Lord did. The Lord wanted to deal with them, but when Moses saw it, Lord, now I understand why you're so upset. So we, in order to serve the Lord and be productive as far as gathering, we have to see things the way the Lord sees them. If God hates sin, we hate sin. If God hates abortion, we hate abortion. If God hates homosexuality, we hate homosexuality. We don't hate the people, but we hate the sin because these things are against God. And see, this is why you got a lot of people in church talking about, no, we have to love the person, you know, you hate the sin and all that. And, and in doing so, you allow them to, to stay in your church, be as they are, don't speak against it, but you think by speaking of all other sins that these people might believe. It's not going to happen. If you don't address the sin that is there, that is causing strife, it will stay there and bear fruit. You've got to have, like Paul says, plainness of speech and speak specifically of that which is against God so that all understand. All right, so this is why a lot of people are, a lot of churches have gone false and gotten into, you know, other gods. Now they got Chrislam. All these things for trying to coexist and trying to be, um, what's the other word? Not coexist. Um, Universal? No, it's another word for like being content with or um, either way, I'll get back to it. But the point is, is that, you know, a tolerance. You know, people are preaching tolerance to things, and it's like, no, God is for some things, and he's against others, and if you want to come along, all right, I'm not saying you're going to change overnight, but you're going to come and learn the truth of what God is for and what he is against. That way, there'll be no mixed up understanding of what's what. Let's go to Revelation 3 and 14. I don't know what time it is. It makes me really... Sad when I see coexist signs on like people's like bumper 
you know, bum um, bumper stickers and stuff. Because mm -hmm. I know they're probably really like, good people, they just don't really understand what that means. You exactly. Know, like, they don't. It's just, it's just exactly. What's keeping a lot of people from believing God and doing what he says is they think that it's wrong to separate when really it's not wrong to separate if you're standing on the way, on the on the truth of Jesus Christ you know every what God doesn't go out to accommodate you in your sin he comes to shed light on your sin that you may come over to his side but he doesn't come over to yours and you know like well let's hang out together Jesus did that to bring people into the kingdom. You know, when he sat with the drunkards, he wasn't sitting there with them, you know, trying to be like them. He was trying to turn them away from their ways. All right, Revelation 3 and 14, and it says, And unto the, the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the amen of the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot I mean, cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou, have, thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art um, wretched and miserable, and poor and blind and naked. So he's saying that, you know, these lukewarm people, he automatically pointed to the world. And how some people think that because they have certain things that they have gained. He said, you know what, I'd rather you be hot or cold. That way you can just be clear that, okay, if this is where you want to be, then stay over there. Okay, but if you want to come over here, then there's some change that needs to be made. But if you don't like your coffee lukewarm, then how can you like God to accept you lukewarm? Exactly. Yep. Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see. So the Lord wants us to open our eyes and recognize what is most important. Are we living for today, or are we living for the kingdom of heaven? He said, man, be rich in the kingdom. Don't be rich in what you can have and all of this. And that's why he spoke of the white raiment. And he said, buy from him gold tried in the furnace. Why? Because that's Christ. That's who you're rich in. This is who you obey and you want to be like. And if you got Jesus, you are rich because look at all that you can call from heaven. Look at all that you can have from there to do the will here. But yet you want to rest in your riches. And that's why Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures that are in heaven. That you don't get mixed up in this. Because your feelings for the world are what hinder us from doing the Lord's will. Think about it. If none of us had the world holding us back. And we were given everything that we would need to be sustained by the Lord. Would you do some of the things in the world that we're still doing? Think about it. If it was really about living for him, and he was going to take care of everything that everything in this world promises, would you be working or would you be serving Christ all the more? Because, right, because you wouldn't see the necessity for doing those things. We do those things in, terms, in search of a better life here. But if we want to do the things of God, you know, then our lives would be there. And that's what we would be focused on. If you can find anywhere in this Bible where any of the apostles were rich, I stand corrected. But, I mean, if you look at the church of God, 
They were all selfless, giving, laborers for the kingdom. They did not waste their time in this world. It doesn't even say in this Bible, well, if you pay attention to part of the world, but the other part, you're okay. You can't find that anywhere. And see, me knowing this, I'm in this place where it's like, okay, I know that right now I'm living to try and make a living here. But I notice every day my affections are growing closer for here. So I'm realizing at some point I'm going to be in a place of being torn because it's going to come down to, am I working for the kingdom or am I still with special, you know, education or whatever I'm doing? There's coming a point where I'm starting to feel that tear in me. So it's going to come down to a point of who are you going to be? Are you going to be on the Lord's side or on the side of the world? I'm not saying making a life here is wicked. The point I'm making is the closer we get to him, he starts to make ways for you outside of this because he knows that this will be a distraction. Yeah, Christina. But what about all the people that you, like the kids' lives that you have touched working there that you wouldn't have touched if the Lord didn't place you there? Well, I believe that's where he wants me and that's why I'm there. But I know eventually he's going to pull. I think they're going to go for me casting out devils and kids. You know, that process has already started. But how long do you think I'm going to have my job when that goes on? Or when I get tired of seeing, you get what I'm saying? When I start seeing sinners around me and I'm like, I'm going to have to address the principal on this because my spirit is grieved. Sir, you should not be doing whatever, whatever. You know, in the name of Jesus, you need to seek him. They're going to say, you know what? Here's your slip. Get out of my school. So, see, right now, yes, I do see where the Lord has placed me there that I may learn. But you see, what I'm dealing with them in is not the stuff that the world teaches. I do a lot of behind-the-back things because I'm trying to win these kids to what they know. But if I'm teaching a kid evolution, I'm not adding to their salvation. I'm scattering. I mean, think about it, because they're not believing in God if they're believing in that. So am I, uh, am I an agent of the Lord or am I an agent of the enemy? Because I know the truth. So you see what I'm saying? It's like no matter where you go in this system, in one way or another, you're going to be serving the beast. In order to be serving the Lord, you have to be outside of that. Because the things that I know that I teach with these kids and deal with, they're contradictory to what the, what the Bible says. You know, the Bible speaks of, you know, um, eternal life. And it speaks of dealing with demons. And it speaks of separating from the world. But if I'm sitting here telling the kids... Yeah, you can play that game and, you know, do whatever you want. And that's cool. In this game, they're killing, and these kids are full of demons and listening to the wrong music. Then am I helping the kingdom, or am I taking away from the kingdom? So you see, when you are preaching this, it's going to put you on a collision course with the world. Believe me, if you want to teach this, there's no way in the world you can be in this world and be loved. Mm -hmm. it, it, it just won't happen. If they did it to Jesus, they will do it to you. And that is just a fact. So right now I'm recognizing, yes, I'm where I am. I'm doing whatever, doing what I need to do. But the net is closing all around us. This economy is hanging on by a thread. You know, there's things that they want to do right now, and none of this stuff is going to be important. So, you know, Jake has seen me do a few things with the kids. James has. We never, you know, there's things that we do, you know, laying, you know. And, and they, um, you know, you see changes, you know, praying, you know, other stuff like that for them. But I know that right now I'm undercover. But there's going to come a point where the Lord is going to say, preach from the housetops. You're going to have to. Because there's a lot of souls there that don't know Jesus. 
So what are we going to do? You're going to say it's okay to win souls here and everywhere else, but where it affects my job, I can't? That doesn't make any sense. You get what I'm saying? Eventually, you're going to be called to speak. Because you can't, if you forget those souls, they say, no, nah, because, I mean, that's going to mess with my job. And I'm not saying you get there overnight, but you grow in it. But what are we going to do when we come before the Lord? When the Lord says, well, why didn't you say anything to them? Well, it was going to cost me, Lord. You understand I got to make money. So you love them. You love you more than them. So eventually, the Lord is going to put us in that place where we're going to have to stand for him. Because when it comes to receiving the mark, what did he say? You know, you won't be able to buy or sell or do anything unless you receive a mark. You're going to pretty much be doing the same thing in practice. You're going to be getting away from the world so you can serve the Lord. Because if we go according to, I got to live. Okay, you got to live. Here's a mark for you. And I want you to worship and I want you to take this. That's the only way you're going to remain working here. So we may as well get prepared for that now because it's coming, and that's why don't make this stuff your life. You know, if you're doing it for right now because it's what you want to do, find ways to serve the Lord and let the Lord work. But if you make it your life, you're going to go wherever the job goes. You're going to go wherever the education goes. Where you want to go is where the Spirit leads. Amen. And the Spirit is not going to tell you to take the mark. Because right now you got preachers telling people that, if they, um, that you can take the mark and be saved. Because you're once saved, always saved. You got pastors teaching this. And people are believing it. Why? They love the world. So that's why you either gather or you scatter. Right now, I recognize the Lord is doing things through, through me. He said, Derek, you can pick up some fruit here. You can pick up long-suffering. You can pick up gentleness. You can pick up peace. You can pick up love because you're sharing your time. But there's coming a point. You know that this place doesn't represent me. You know what this thing stands for, sits on the horns of the beast. You are going to have to come against it because it will come against you. When they start writing, anybody here is against homosexuality, put your, you know, sign this card. That's going around. It's, it's getting ready to come around. And if you say, well, I don't really have a problem with it, you got God to deal with. But if you say, hey, I'm against it because the Bible says, well, then here's your pink slip. But we're not going to be able to just stay where we are. The world is already setting it up. What James, Jake, and I are realizing, because we're hearing it so bluntly now. Like there's people coming in talking about, I didn't hear this. James heard it, you know, and Jake did. But they said there are people um, saying, well, I want us all to get to know each other better. I'm bisexual, you know, and, you know, this is what we do. But we want to get everybody to know whatever. Man, I'm so glad I wasn't there. I remember when the meeting was going on, but that was the first break I had. And I just felt the Spirit telling me, man, don't go in there. Get in my word and do whatever. Had I heard that, I would have said, wait a minute. Can I say something here? What does anybody's sexuality or who they're giving it to has anything to do with anything in the workplace? I would shut that down right away. Why? Because the fact of the matter is that's the devil moving in. That's him getting everybody comfortable, getting them conditioned for it. So that way, that spirit can spread. I would say, I don't want to hear what anybody's sex life is in here. I'm not going around telling people I'm heterosexual. Okay, so you don't need to come and tell me you're homosexual. And that's the, that's the truth of the matter. But man, I wish I would have heard it. But I'm noticing it's starting to appear a lot. Like in other words, the devil is daring us. I dare you to speak up for Jesus and see if you keep your job. Hey, no problem. When I hear it, it will be addressed. Why? Because my life is focused on eternity and not for the here and now.
I care what the Lord thinks, not me. So he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chase, and be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now you mean to say the Lord is going to want to sup with me and I'm afraid to represent him? He says, if you don't speak for me here, I'm not speaking for you there. If you deny me before men, him will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. And you know what? Keeping our mouths shut. I'm not talking about for the time being, but not eventually speaking up for the kingdom. Man, that's all the same. To see it and say nothing is, is, is really denying Christ. That's something we got to recognize. Because if you see evil and you say nothing, you go along with evil. And I'm not saying we got to be there overnight, but the point I'm making is we got to get that prepared in us now. That God is not for the world. And the only way we're ever going to serve him effectively is if we believe that this world is not what's taking care of us. That's growth in faith. Yes. I just want to make up the point because this happened to me where I used to work was hearing the voice of the Lord even when we don't think it's him because of where we are. And it's having that faith in the Lord that he's going to take care of us no matter what. But when the Lord says, I want you to talk to somebody, like you got a lesbian sitting right next to you. I want you to talk to them and ask them and get to know them about why, what happened to them so I can be introduced into their life. When the Lord says to do certain things, because there was things that came out of my mouth, I was just, I was sitting there like, where did this come from? And that won't mean that was the Holy Ghost, but we're sitting there and if we disobey, if we don't say what the Lord tells us to do, that's disobedient. And the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. So it's like, if we're not doing His will, mm -hmm. then we might as well be you know, of those children of disobedience. That's right. Look at verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me uh, in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with the Father in his throne. So let's ask ourselves, what was Jesus a part of in the world? He said, I overcame. You know, so you overcome as I overcame. What was he involved in? Boys and Girls Club? What was he? I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but I'm just trying to make a point here. He pulled his disciples from off their work to do his work. I know this sounds like man in 2017. So you're trying to say, I can't have a job. I can't do things. I believe that the Lord is going to lead us where we should be. But be prepared to fire that trigger. Why? This is your testimony. This is why it's happening. This isn't happening for nothing. This is why the devil is bringing the, you know, sin before you. Because the second you say nothing, see, judge him, God. You know, he heard it, and I know he knows, but he didn't say a thing. See, this is why he's doing it. So we got to recognize if the devil is throwing this in your face, it's because he's trying to see what if you're going to obey the Lord or obey the world. So you see, when we stand up for the Lord, hey, man, it is what it is. Sarah's, you know, her rent's been paid two months straight now since this has been going on. The Lord's been making a way. Now, at the moment, I was like, Sarah, did you really do that? But you know what? If the spirit lives in you, you're talking about my father. So I respect what she did, you know, and having the guts to do it. I remember having that same thing come upon me where I could lose my job. Hey, I was like, if that's what it's going to be, I'm still going to be praying in the morning. And what do they do? Leave it alone. And But that was the Lord's will. That wasn't because they liked me. You kidding me? They want to do away with every Christian. So when the Lord says, Derek, it's time to go, it's time to go. He that have an ear... Uh, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. 
So that is important that we obey the voice of God and do the things that he calls us to do. Let's go to 1 Kings 18, and then I'm going to go to one other place, and I'm done. But read number 16 in your spare time when, remember, he pulled that question again, and he said, whoever's on the Lord's side, whoever's on this side, come over here. And the earth swallowed 22,000 people in number 16. So you see, their rebellion continued even after what happened in Exodus. And believe me, I'm not trying to kill your fun, guys. I know it's like, man, he's going to say something. It's going to make me question this and that. You know what? The Lord is just trying to get us ready because a lot of people are going to be taken by surprise with this. They're going to get confronted one morning. You're going to come in ready to drink your coffee, sit down, eat your little cheese sandwich sitting at your desk, and you're going to get presented with this. And you know that your rent is tomorrow. Okay, or coming up in the week, man, the devil is going to squeeze you and the Lord is going to let him do this to see what you will do. But God does not want his people silent. All right, 1 Kings 18 and 20. Look at this. This is how I know this is what's going on. So Ahab sent uh, unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Now you remember Ahab represented the the, uh, prophets of Baal. We went over this story. 21, and Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, which is another name for Satan, or Nimrod, or the Antichrist, then follow him. Now look what happened. And the people answered him not a word. So these would be people that were in denial. You see what I'm saying? When it came time to present, I stayed quiet. Why? Because I'm confused. You know, I don't understand what's going on here. So what did Elijah do here? He brought up a demonstration to show I serve the one true God. Elijah was the only one out here with 900, what is it, uh, 450 prophets and 450 something else. But I know there was a thousand people out here against Elijah. He is the only one here standing for the Lord while the whole town is, is, you know, don't know what they believe or they're worshiping Baal. So he said, man, how long halt you between two opinions? If God is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people are, what do I do? What do I say? See, God wants his people ready to be able to say what needs to be said. Why? Because you believe God. And I'm not trying to scare you guys. I'm just saying, have more faith. Ask the Lord to give you what you're going to need. But see, you're going to be forced to fall on one side of the fence one way or the other. Mm-hmm. It's already happening. Yeah. So we might as well prepare for it. And those who won't stand up for the Lord now, there's no way in the world you're going to stand up for him later. Because the world is going to be worse. The stakes are going to be higher. You're going to see real stuff happen to real Christians. And if you ain't been practicing standing up for him now, I'm telling you, it won't be in you. You may say, no, when the time comes, I know. Trust me, if it was that kind of terrifying and uneasy for us to walk out there and say what we said to the people, imagine what it's going to be like from that point on. It got easier as we went out there, but it wasn't that way at first. Mm -hmm. Now imagine they're looking to kill all Christians for standing for the name of Jesus. Man, the stakes are going to be so high. So you want to be prepared now. You want to face rejection now. You want to be hated by the world right now. Because when the time comes, man, I'm telling you, if you, it's nothing like having everybody love you. And man, this is my favorite guy. That's my buddy at work. But then when it comes time to represent Christ, 
and the whole world flips on you, you go, no, no, I, I don't mean it like that. No, our God is a God of love. No, can you come back? Can you talk to me? Why are you ignoring me? See, those things are going to bother you because you haven't dealt with them. But when you get used to standing for Christ, you will always be the odd man out. And you're going to love it. You're going to have believers right alongside you. The Lord ain't going to leave you alone. You're going to be surrounded by people that love you. But one thing God is not going to do is, you know, let you love the world and think you're going to serve him. It just doesn't work. Nope. I mean, preaching the gospel, Jesus was known as a rock of offense. You are going to offend people. Get that in your minds, in your hearts right now. If they persecuted the king of glory that we worship and we preach nothing different than he does, well, what do you think is going to happen to you and me? So you see, we got to gather for the kingdom, but the question needs to be asked, how long are we halt between two opinions? If the world be God, follow him. If God is God, then follow him. But we've got to know what side of things we stand on, and we've got to walk in them, because if we don't, those days are going to take us unawares. I know that we read that all unbelievers go to hell, we believe. But I'm telling you, this thing comes in practice. This comes in having the word in you. Because when the time comes to speak, just how it's uncomfortable for us to tell people at work about Jesus, man, imagine what it's going to be like on that day. We've got to get that set with us now. What do I do? Do I obey the Lord or do I walk with the world? And I mean, I'll be honest to you all. When the time came for me to speak up for Jesus, the very first time I did there was a part of me that was scared, but there was a part of me that was more scared of how God would perceive my answer. And, you know, when I stood up, I was surprised what came out of my mouth. And I was even more surprised of the reaction that happened because I thought they were going, all right, you're done. Say that again. You're done. All right, here you go. Get out of my office and don't come back. That didn't happen. That person began to, so are you saying that if we don't serve Jesus, we go to hell. That's exactly what I'm saying. And it's like once you, you know, it's a lot like boxing. Or if you ever had a fight in your life, and I'm not trying to compare the Lord with the world. But when, you're always nervous before the fight. But once the very first punch is thrown, all that fear goes out the window. And it's like you don't have it anymore. Right. But when you decide to speak for the Lord... And that fear leaves. Mm -hmm. It goes away because the spirit is like, okay, you gave me the mouth. I'm going to say what needs to be said. Right. But long story short, that boss of mine turned himself to the Lord. He gave his life to Jesus. Amen. And he, you know, wanted to hang out with me and do more with me. But see, you don't know these things. Sarah will tell you at our conferences, my bosses have come to the studies. Mm -hmm. So you know that I talk about it openly. I don't, you know. But all I'm saying is, this is going to take preparation, but you've just got to be, God has got to be more real to you than anything else. Yes, sir. I'm only going to say, because I know we got to get going, but yeah, I got every one situation more that the Lord puts us in, this is something that everyone has to grasp within themselves. The Lord knows that we can handle it. It may seem like, I can't believe I'm just sitting in the lion's den right now. The Lord knows that we have it within us, with Him that we can handle that situation. We just got to believe in him that we can. Well, Sarah also, that day, that morning she called me. I was asleep or whatever, but I got her message, and we talked afterwards, James 4 real quick, and um, Sarah um, called me that morning, 
and she was talking to me, and I was like, calm down, you know, whatever. I was like, she wasn't even upset, really, but I was like, so you couldn't just, you know, talk to them or whatever and just see what's what. Sarah said, no, you know what, if I'm sitting here preaching the gospel, no, I've got to believe this. She didn't even care. She was just to a point where, like, no, I've got to be what I'm saying. Other than that, I'm not being real. So she was kind of over-talking me while I was trying to, like, you know, say stuff. But then it hit me, hey, that was her testimony. I can't say she's wrong. Could I, would I have dealt with it different? Possibly. But I can't say that she was wrong because her God was that real to her. Now, what do I say? This happened because this was your fault. You could have dealt with it differently, which I didn't somewhat say. I didn't say it was your fault. But I said that she could have, you know, been wise as a serpent. But why say that to knock down her faith when she's willing to go and serve the Lord with, with my, you know, natural understanding of, of what could be? If she's on fire for the Lord, then pour fire, on, pour gasoline on that fire and let it go. But I can't say to her, you shouldn't have said, you know, because then now she'll begin to doubt. So what are we what are we talking about belief in Christ here for if I'm only going to pour water on her fire? That makes no sense. So, you know, I had to, hey, that's your testimony. If the Lord told you and you walk in faith, hey, go with it then. But I'm not going to stop you from doing what needs to be done. Because right. I had to stand on that faith before. I mean, we know what it's like. So this is not making anybody feel down. It's just, you know, James 4 and 1. Uh, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, uh, even of your lust, that war in your members. So he's talking about the fight within you. There's the will of God, and then there is the lust in your members. Verse 2. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have. Uh, ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war. Yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. So you see why the Lord won't do certain things for us. We may say, Lord, give me power to lay hands on the sick. The Lord is like, well, what good is that? I get to catch you after your nine to five? You're going to lay hands before you go to work and then lay hands after? So, And I'm not saying that's the case, but he's talking about this lust, these things that we want aside from his power. We may preach we want power, we want to do the Lord's will, but we got another wife. We got something else that we love, I wouldn't say more than God, but, you know, some harlot hanging around from time to time. So these are things that he's saying, man, you guys are asking amiss. You want to be empowered upon your own lust instead of dropping that trash and letting me give, get you full of the spirit. You know, it's like you kind of like, it's kind of like being in adultery and you want the Lord to marry you with that somebody else's wife. You want like, you know, that person is still married, not divorced. None of the conditions meaning anything in the Bible. But Lord, I love her. Can you please marry us? And Lord is like, that's not your wife. You know, you want somebody, but you're asking a mess because you want me to, to stamp approval on this garbage that's not even of me. So we can ask wrongly. God wants to fill us. But he's like, man, you got another husband. You got somebody else. So what do you want from me? Exactly. Verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, 
God resisteth the proud, but gives grace um, unto the humble. You can't be more humble than giving it all up to follow Christ. Because after all, that means that your will becomes his. So that's just something I wanted to bring up. Um, 2 Peter chapter um, 2, and I'm done. But see, the Lord has always been asking this question, whose side are you on? This is what he loves to ask. Whose side are you on? You know, and that's why he, you ever heard his personality in, in, in uh, Jeremiah? No, so since you got another, you know, you've been lying around playing the harlot. Well, since you got another Lord or another whatever, go and be with them and go and have them take care. You hear the Lord say these things. So he feels cheated on just like we feel when someone has been unfaithful to us. All right, Second Peter two. I mean, First Peter. That's why I was like, man, this don't look right. Second Peter two and one. But there were uh, false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So he's kind of saying what Paul would always say. Beware of the concision, those that are in the midst, because that's where they can do the most damage. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. You see? So while you go to preach, well, no, this is actually speaking of opposites of, you know, those that will, um, you speak the truth, but they will find it as evil. Okay? So this is what he's um, addressing right here. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So while they're deceiving, they're making merchandise of people that want something to do with, you know, the world and not following the Lord. And that's why false doctrine doesn't work on a real Christian that is giving his life over to the Lord. Why? Because you don't care. You see, if someone talks to you about a pre-trip rapture, you won't see anything happen to you. You don't care mm -hmm. because your will is to serve the Lord. Your will is not to escape with your life. Mm -hmm. Verse 4, for if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell and delivered them in chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, which saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So God always gave people a time to change, you know, verse 6, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And this is why I'm telling people, you know, I know that you can go elsewhere and hear from a pastor that'll tell you it's okay what you do as long as you serve the Lord. I'm not debating that tonight. What I am going to tell people is, you better recognize the truth when you hear it, okay? Because one thing about God is he always turned his people to Godward, to heavenward. Anyone that wants you to remain and, enjoy and indulge in this world cannot be of the Spirit of God because God wanted his people out of the world, not in the world. But he did say live in this world but not be of this world. What does that mean? You got to eat here. You got to drink here. You got to sleep here. You have to interact with others here, but you don't have to be of the world. That is the difference. You don't adopt their ways and their values and do as they do. You do as God does. 
So he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at verse 7. Here's one guy that thought it was okay to live somewhere and thought he would be fine. And delivered just Lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. So those that are walking the flesh will go against, you know, God's word, and they would also speak against government. They don't want God's government. They don't want God telling them what to do. They want to do what they want to do and think that they're going to have the same relationship with God. So he said, what are they? Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid uh, to speak evil of dignities. So they'll speak good again. They'll speak negative against the good that you might preach. Whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. So as much power and might that the angels have, even they know, man, you don't turn against the Lord. If he tells you to do something, you do it. You go according to what there is in the kingdom and what should be done. Why? Because Lucifer went his own way, and now Lucifer has, has the um, you know, hell reserved for him in a day of judgment. Verse 12, but these. So he's talking about the angels are good. The angels follow what the Lord says to do. Okay, look at 12. But these are natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things which that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it a pleasure to riot in the daytime. So when he says um, pleasure to riot in the daytime, that word for riot is kind of like railings, like where you would go out partying, hanging out, having a good time, you know, just enjoying life, not even really worrying about what there is. Look at what he calls them. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery, now this can be physical and spiritual, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, um, and heart they uh, they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. So he talks about beguiling unstable souls. This is what false pastors do. You know, instead of teaching about the kingdom of God, they try and have you have your best life here on earth. So you beguile unstable souls or a whoremonger out there messing around with women. You'll beguiling unstable souls, people that are trying to make it, that don't know what's what, but you're leading them astray because of your lust, not theirs. And I think this happens not because a lot of pastors are false or teachers. I think it's because they have not been really taught this. They've been told, like I've been taught, you can be in the world and, and, and love the world and the things of the world and then serve the Lord, and it's the same thing. I mean, if you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, if you didn't see the disciples do this or anybody else, how, where do we come to this belief that that is okay? Now, right now, like I said, many of us are in Egypt. We're doing what we're doing. But the Lord wants you eventually into the wilderness and into the promised land. 
the children of Israel could not stay where they were. And that's why he calls them spots and blemishes. Why? Because spots and, and wrinkles and blemishes don't make it into the kingdom of God. So he's calling for all those people that want to stay in their own lust and not draw closer. They don't get in. And that's why the children of Israel died in the wilderness. They died in their souls. They never got to the spirit. Verse 15, which have forsaken the right way, see, and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Now, what is that? Remember, Balaam is the one who brought those Moabite women in, and people turned from the Lord unto fornication and adultery. So then it says, verse 16, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with um, a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, kind of like virgins without oil, mm -hmm. clouds that are carried with a tempest, and who the midst of darkness is reserved forever. So that means they will not be in the presence of God. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantingness like greed, of those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same, and he is brought in bondage. So let's look at this, about this liberty. We did a teaching last Sunday, right, mm -hmm. on the law of liberty. But he's talking here about those who are servants of corruption. So they lead people into error instead of taking them away. And they're supposed to be ministers. But then it says... They themselves are the servants of corruption. So you got Joel Osteen and people teaching, have your best life now, but not even recognizing Joel Osteen is bound. Joel Osteen is lost, but he's supposed to be a preacher man representing the Lord about, you know, what way we are supposed to go. So they follow them unto their own, you know, lust and they fall. But then it says, for of whom a man is overcome. What did Jesus say? I have overcome the world. What did Jesus say? Them that have overcome as I have overcome, okay, will, will reap the benefits of the kingdom. Yep. But he says that these people that are given into their own lust and their own vanity and their own wants are overcome of the same is he brought in bondage. So you're caught up in the world instead of getting out of the world. And again, I'm not telling people what they should do. Whatever the Lord's will is for you, that's his will. Mm -hmm. Perhaps you will go there one day. You could be sitting there in class, in college, or in your career, and you break out one day full of the Spirit and just start telling people about the Lord. People get saved. You get fired. But the will of the Lord is that it was done. So I'm not. Moses was brought into Egypt, okay, as a slave. I mean, he, he was raised with the Egyptians, but he delivered the Egyptians out of it. So I'm not saying what the Lord would do. What I'm saying is what the end game is, that God means to separate us from the world. I'm not talking about right now. Whatever he's working out with us, he's working out. But it's not like I'm sitting here not reading it. I'm not putting my own spin on it. Right. I, I, you know, there are a lot of things I wanted to do in the world too. But when I recognized they're not of the Lord, I still had trouble breaking away from those things until the Spirit started peeling some things back. But, you know, I'm not trying to kill anybody from doing what they need to do. But in a natural sense, the whole world be I mean, belongs to Satan. This is Satan's education. This is Satan's banks. 
These are Satan's, you know, government. Everything that he's in, this is Satan's military. Sarah and I did a teaching on that on Monday. It was called um, Patriotism is Satanic. I can't wait for that one to come mm -hmm. out because we even had like music in the background playing like the Inception um, beat. All right, verse 20. For if, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and, and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. So you see, when you escape the pollutions of the world, that word for world is cosmos. That is the ways, the way that the world is, the way that they live. Man, when you have escaped this and you come back to it, you're worse than the first now because you're accountable. All right, verse 21. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to uh, the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed uh, to her wallowing in the mire. So we understand that once you've escaped and you go back into it, man, it's just like, it's hard to break out. And I think that's what James and I were feeling because our first day back, we had training all day. And I mean, I felt grieved in my spirit. We went two separate classes. So I didn't know how he was feeling, but I know how I was feeling. And he felt a certain way. So we got out on our brakes. James was in a car with Jake and one other guy. I'm on a walk with my headphones on, you know, listening to the word. James, all I saw was the car stop. <laughs> I guess they were going to eat. James gets out of the car and was like, all right, I'll see you guys later. He came to me, Mr. Hallett. My spirit is grieved. And I said, man, mine too. And I think it's because we spent all summer long worshiping the Lord without having the freedom of that place around us. And we were out there doing his will. And then you go from the freedom of the spirit back into bondage and you just feel so closed in. I mean, it was just this feeling of, man, why am I here? I don't even like hearing these people talk or what they're doing. But my spirit instantly became grieved. And I still feel some grievance, but not as much. Why? Because I'm getting back in the flow. And that's what's making it hard for me again. I'm hearing how people are talking. It's not foreign anymore. So the Lord means for us to be separated so that we may gather and not scatter. This place grieves my spirit because it teaches a lot of things that are not of God. And lately, I've been speaking up in class, and so is James, like, you know, hey, I'm against tattoos because the Bible says it, you know, whatever. But I'm speaking this stuff out. I know it won't be long before my teacher that I like, nice guy, very patient, will say, you know what, I think you need to either go to another class or you need to stop talking that in here because it's affecting the kids. I know I'm on a collision course with the world, but I also know, too, that he that does not gather with the Lord, you scatter. Feed on Christ and find out how much you start hating the world. I'm telling you, the reason why you don't feel as grieved in your spirit as you were before. Okay, uh, sorry, Christina. Um, do we ever go over the exact scripture that says that? What? He that gathereth not gathereth, scattereth? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was in Luke 11. That was the first one we went over. Yeah. Yeah, it's Luke 11. And um, I mean, maybe, did I go over it? I don't yeah, remember going over it. No, no, and then the dead and all that, and the sleep. Luke 11 and what? 23. Right. Thank you. 
Yeah, I did go over that because I was talking about those. It was armed and um, yeah. And but look at man, look. I didn't even realize how this goes. I'm glad Christina said that. Look at this. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Now I just read Second Peter chapter two, right? The whole chapter. Now look at verse twenty-four. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth um, it swept and garnished. No oil. Okay? No oil. No light. No any of the things, you know, back in the world. I'm glad she mentioned that because the spirit kind of brought it back here. Right. But see, the house is swept and garnished. So what do the demons say? Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. That goes, that matches right up with Second Peter 2. It's funny how we began with Luke 11 and then Second Peter 2, but look how it parallels that the Lord wants us to not have our, you know, home swept and garnished, but this world will put out the fire. And that's why if you're in the world still, you know what, fast and pray more. You know, stay, have a really, even on your breaks, guys, carry some kind of, um, I don't know, lessons. Y'all like Derek Prince or whatever. Man, you get a lunch break, carry your headphones, hook those up and get the word back in you. Because you don't realize how much of the world you're feeding on and it is messing with your spirit. But man, when you go to and fro, if you're on the way to work, play some gospel music or whatever it is that you got. Why? Because you've got to fight against this. Because school, I mean, I'm not speaking against it, but man, most of that is the devil's teaching that is plaguing your spirit. Now, math is universal. Obviously, God uses math. But what I'm saying is, man, the daily grind of what they're trying to indoctrinate you with, man, don't rest on that. Whenever you get a break, Put my headphones in. I'm going to listen to some gospel music. I'm going to read the word. Carry a little Bible with you or whatever. But get a break and escape the world and feed on Christ to subdue that. Because that world spirit, I'm telling you, it, it becomes hard to pray, hard to sleep, hard to fast. I mean, it just, it, it overtakes you if you let it. Yep. So you want to feed on Christ while you're in the world. And eventually he's going to lead you out. That's why when I go on break, man, I have my headphones in. I got a bunch of things on because I am combating what the enemy is trying to do to me. See, words are thought. So anything spoken to you, you receive it, and then, you know, you don't understand the effect that it may have on you. It may be, oh, you know, that's interesting, but it can be a doctrine of a demon seeping in. So you don't know. Compare everything with the Word of God. Okay, Lord, I know what I'm learning in here is lies. I'm just here to get that degree. Lord, protect my mind from this garbage because you don't want to come out with a world mind. Those people are so full of pride. They say, Lord, I know what's going on, but protect me. I don't want to feed into this because it has a way of making you proud, you know? So just be careful with it is all I'm saying. All right. That's the lesson for tonight. Praise the Lord. All right, let's go to Matthew 16. And 13. All right, Matthew 16 and 13. 
When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said unto, and they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say Elias, and others say Jeremiah, one of the other, or one of the other prophets. He said unto them, But whom do, but whom say ye that I am? This is actually a question that the Lord brought to my attention. Whom do you say that I am? Or even as it says here, but whom say ye that I am? Of course, we know that Peter answered and said in the next verse, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. This is actually a very important question that not only did God ask to the disciples, but he's asking every one of us. And we know that what he said to the disciples, he said unto everyone, if you hold where you are, and let's go to uh, Mark 8. I mean, excuse me, um, not Mark 8, but uh, where is it? Um, Mark 13, sorry. Mark 13 and 1. All right, so Mark 13 and 1. And as he went out of the, of the temple, one of his disciples said unto him, Master, see what manner of stone and what building is here. And Jesus answered and said unto him. So we know that he was talking to his disciples. So now let's go over to verse 32. Back in Matthew? No, we're still in Mark. Just jump over to verse 32 in Mark. But of the day and of the hour knowest no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time, the time is. For the Son of Man is as, is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house cometh, at evening, or at midnight, or, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest come suddenly he find ye sleeping. What, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. So he's telling his disciples right here, what I say unto you, I say unto all. So he speaks it unto everyone. He speaks it even unto us. So now going back to the question, but whom say ye that I am? So the question, if we know that it's not only for his disciples, but it's also for us, we actually have to ask within ourselves, and this is something that the Lord placed on me to ask everyone to ask ourselves silently, who do we say that Jesus Christ is? Who do we say that he is? Is he that real to us? Is he real enough to us, like what was being spoken of tonight, that we are willing to give up all of the world and to follow him because he know, we know that he is in us? We know that he's that real to us. I mean, what's really the point of believing in Jesus Christ if we're not going to walk as, as he walked, as it says in 1 John 2 and 6? If we're supposed to walk as he's... What's the... And again, I'm not saying this, that everyone's walk with Jesus Christ is their own. But the question that he asked me months ago, and he's still asking me, is who do you say that I am? Do you have a strong enough faith in me that when you go out and you talk to people that... You're more afraid of the fact that I can cast you into hell for not doing my will instead of talking to that person because they might say something offensive to you. I mean, it's just really something that everyone, all of us really needs to think about is who is Christ to us? 
Is he real to us? And then one last question I want to ask everyone. You guys can also con compare some scriptures to this. Is Mark 8, 27 through 30 and Luke 9, 18 through 22. It asks the same question as it did in Matthew 16. And then one real quick. Let's go to Luke 12. I have a question. Go ahead. Back on verse 36. Where are we at? Uh, Mark 13, 36. Mark, hang on, let me get there. Because <laughs> I had already left. Mark 13, go ahead. In what context is it saying, least coming suddenly he finds you sleeping? Find you sleeping is slumbering. resting in Christ, or is it like slumbering? Slumbering. It's slumbering. It's like you're you're not paying attention to what Christ has called you to do. You are uh, a, you're dead to Christ, but you're alive in this world. So sleeping in that contents means it means that you're more concerned about having fun in this life. You're more concerned about the cares and the thoughts of this life. And you haven't really, we haven't really built ourselves up in Christ and doing His will, so that when He comes back. You know, just like the guy with the, the talent. You know, he should have gone out and did what the Lord asked him to do, but he didn't. He hid it. So that's the same thing with that sleeping, is that when the Lord comes, he expects us He expects to find us uh, doing his will, going out and, and gathering and not mm -hmm. scattering. Yeah. All right, so did that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. I just thought it was interesting how that came up. Right. In yours, and we had talked about it earlier. That's true. Yeah. Well, and it's actually, it's in the contents of how it is. Like, sleep can be asleep in Christ, but dead to the world. Sleep can be death, you know, as well. All right, Luke 12 and And he said, and, excuse me, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns, and I will build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say unto my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, God even called this guy a fool, Thou fool, this night thy soul will be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself, and not, and is not rich towards God. So here's the deal, is that we're not promised another day on this earth. And if we're so concerned about all of our riches in this life, our soul can be very required of us this very night. And the question again I want to ask everyone within ourselves is why would Jesus allow us into heaven? What have we done on this earth according to his will that when we stand before him, and this is something that is even like, you know, caused me to have more fear of God is why would he allow us to go into heaven? What have we done for him? I mean, it can't be an idea of Christ. It can't be that, you know, well, I wanted to say something to that person, but I was afraid so God will still let me in. It's not an ascension. It's not a thought. It's a doing of his will. That's what's going to get us into the kingdom of heaven. It's completely getting rid of the, rid of the flesh, which is a process, but we don't have all the time in the world to get it right with him. We don't. Mm -hmm. And this is something that everyone needs to really think about, and I include myself with this, is that Me too. 
is that if if God called us in, called us into to judgment this very night, and we had to stand before Him, what have we done that Christ would say, "Enter ye into the kingdom"? Because it does say that the kingdom of heaven is within us. So that means that we have to model the kingdom of heaven before we get there mm-hmm. in our own lives. So it's like, you know, are, are we really taking it for serious, what he, what his word says? And this is something he's really worked, worked on me with his word, is to take it all but to go out and to give it to others. Because that's a part of a Christian's walk, is telling others about Jesus Christ. That's right. So that's what yeah, I And we're going to go to Matthew 4, verse 1. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. So hungry. And when the temper, tempter <laughs> came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So I kind of want to introduce my topic with this scripture. Mainly the point is for, is that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So as um, I look back on my just walk with God and um, getting closer to him, I've noticed when it was in the beginning, I was first coming, even kind of like a babe in Christ, um, and the milk and stuff, it really it fed me quickly. Um, or just any time getting in scripture fed me quickly. But as I'm growing and maturing, I'm needing more and more and more and more hungry, and I'm realizing it's, um, you know, less things of this world satisfy me, and more I need that spirit-to-spirit um, growth to be able to truly satisfy me. And even when I get into the Bible more, I get more hungry for it. I get more mm-hmm. more thirsty for it. It's kind of interesting because when you eat food, like eventually you eat to the point where you're so full, you know. But even when I get into the Word, I can there can be times I'm just reading and I just don't want to stop. There's like that fullness. Mm-hmm. Just it, there's no cap. Like I just don't want to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I I just want more and more. Um, and so. All right, next let's go to John 6 and 47. All right, John 6 and 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. And he's talking here, not the physical bread that we eat as in food, but he's talking about the spiritual food. 49. Your fathers did eat uh, manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever forever. 
and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. I think it's interesting how Christ, the spiritual food, his bread, he gives as his flesh, um, which is the one thing that keeps us, you know, and he buried his flesh on the cross for our sins, but that's the one thing that keeps us from growing spiritually is us fighting our flesh. Mm -hmm. um, and he gave that to us. That's a, I mean, I think that's huge. Um, so we can have life in this world and Christ built up in us and we can get rooted in him. 52. The Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So thinking carnally. 53. Then Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. So, how many times a day, on average, do you think you eat food? Or eat a meal? Or mainly anybody? Two or three meals a day. How many times on average do you think um, a believer feeds their spirit a day? Not or a as week? Much as they should. Yeah. Unless they're sanctified with the Lord. Yeah. Um, you know, those questions really, like when I heard them, really just stuck to me. Um, you know, there can be times I'm constantly communing with the Lord and like Derek said earlier, like when I'm in my car, it's time I'm with the Lord. On my lunch break, I'm with my I'm with the Lord. You know, I'm trying to revive myself. But I've been feeling the spirit tug on me that I need more from you. You're still hungry, you're still thirsty. Um, and it's it's comes to the point where like it just becomes stagnant. You need more growth. You need to be in your Bible more, the word of God. Um and because we're not supposed to do this on our on our own. We're spending so many hours in the world and it's wearing on us and so many out, you know, time eating and feeding our flesh, but we're not renewing our spirit consistently as much. Um, not always, but we're also going through so much spiritual battles going on. We're all facing our own battles. And if we're not strengthening our spirit to prepare ourselves for those battles, then each day our flesh like wins you know, is able to take over us and we're not increasing as much or walking um, that straight path as much as God has could have planned for us. There's just so much potential. We just stay on what he calls and tells us to do. Um, so also um, back to the word of God. So when you hear the word of God, hear it preached, Bible study, or... Um, even reading it, that helps you with your faith. So Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Mm -hmm. um, then also just reading it for me helps. And I'm not a reader. I never grew up liking reading. I actually really disliked it when I was young. <laughs> never liked books. I did it so I to get a grade is all mm -hmm. I did it for. I learned what I had to get, never ever read for fun. And now, like, the I think, like, 
the enemy used that against me to keep me away from the Bible at times, you know, because it's not a passion of mine. I think about that. Yeah, yeah, but I think the Bible is the only thing, or things about the Bible, um, like sermons and teachings and stuff, are the only thing I enjoy researching and reading and studying and just get me excited. Like, it's, it's my source of entertainment, and mm-hmm. I love that God has been able to redirect my passion um, towards actually reading and there's just something different about hearing and reading I think it's to do both like you read the words that are written and then also hearing listening to the words that help it just um, be printed and engraved inside your heart and really understand it and search it Um, so and then there's also Matthew 5 6 I'm just gonna read it out loud Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Mm-hmm. So it's what I got from that is, you know, it's a good thing. Um, our souls constantly wanting to be closer with um, our Father, and it's a good thing that if we're hungry and thirsty for Him um, consistently, it's just it's important that as a believer, um, that we are walking with Him and daily we are filling that need, filling that hunger, not letting our spirit starve because then when we start starving that spirit we get conformed to the world Mm -hmm. and then we're not as sensitive to that hunger and thirst Mm -hmm. Um, whereas it's different with your flesh when you start well when you starve your flesh and you're fasting then you just don't notice it after for a while the first days are kind of really hard you know um but eventually i mean you can not eat forever and be okay but you could choose it's a choice to consistently ignore God talking to you and not get in the word and then it be normal to you you know mm-hmm. um, you'll die spiritually but you're not going to feel that same like body cravings of like breaking down your flesh mm-hmm. you know so it's just kind of interesting to think of the parallels between those two um, so I just my question to you is what spiritual battle are you fighting right now in your life you know think about that and have you completely um, turn to God's word for food to help you? Mm-hmm. Have you um, let Christ be the bread of life to strengthen you and um, be your fuel, your fire that helps you get through every little thing and just grow, consistently grow, even when things are good. like You don't know how you can be holding yourself back by choosing to not get in the word one day, even because you had a great day. Um, you don't know what God, what little beautiful mystery the Lord could have revealed to you in that one day by just choosing to listen to his voice. And then what changes do you need to make in your life so you can be spiritually nourished? Okay. That's just what I have. Oh, that's a good question. Good question. I think that um, also this adds to the virgins, the oil, you know, those that eat of his flesh, drink of his blood, he will raise on the last day. Those are people that are not in relationship that don't have it, you see? The foolish virgins refuse relationship. They didn't get into the word as much. You know, there's just a lot concerning this that we just have to gather for the kingdom of God and not scatter. That's right. I mean, you sin anytime God's will is not done on a daily basis Mm -hmm. or on a moment's basis, to be honest with you. That's how sensitive we ought to be. When he tells you to get up at night for prayer, you know, and you can be tired, but the will of the Father is to get on your knees and pray. That's right. Anytime that we don't yield to the Spirit of God or God's will is not done in us, mm-hmm. it is sin. 
You know, and I know that's hard to fathom for the carnal mind, but for the spiritual mind, that is your daily walk. Because God speaks to you like He speaks, like we speak to each other, you know? Okay. All right, sounds good. All right. Heavenly Father, we want to come to you with bowed head, humble heart, contrite spirit, and just at a lowliness of just giving our whole self to you, Father. Submission, yielding to the Spirit, letting the Spirit work through us daily. Thank you, Lord. Father, I ask that you reveal to us any sins that are unknown in our life. And I ask for forgiveness, Lord. And I ask that you help us to walk to get it right with you because we just want to be closer to you. And we know that any doors that we let open up in our life from the world or from Satan just put a separation between us. But we don't want that. So we're asking right now for you to close that door, that separation, that we just be in one spirit and one mind with you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We ask that as we go into the world, into our jobs, and all these things that continue to wear the saints out, that we are God-conscious and focused, Lord, and that we stand up brave and courageous against the enemy's test against us when he's trying to sit there and say that we are unfaithful servants, Lord. I ask that you give us the courage and the faith and the strength to prove him wrong and to just totally have your back, Father, to be vessels willing and fit for you to use, Lord, to be able to hearken unto your voice, the littlest voices, even the voice just to talk to that person in the grocery store. If we hear healing, if we hear pain, if we hear agony, emotional pain, anything, Lord, to just step out in faith and not be fearful because perfect love casts out all fear. Let us walk in your perfect love, Father, in your joy. Let's focus on that so that all the wiles of the enemy are just exploded away from us, Lord, because we're focusing on working for you, Lord Jesus. Father, I want to pray for our country, for our state right now with all of the natural disasters going on, all the things that are man disasters going on, all of the evil doings right now, Lord Jesus. I ask that you just be merciful upon the people who still need you, Lord, and that you bring your saints upon them to deliver the word of God so that we can sow seeds and you can go and water them and reap the benefit of the harvest, Lord. I ask for a latter rain to come upon this nation, Lord, that people do not separate away from you more because of all of the wickedness that they see but that they choose to come towards you, Lord. And I call against this wildfire, Lord. I ask that you bring rain. I ask that you ease the winds, Lord Father, and that you help people save their houses, Lord. People who are believing on you, who right now are out and have nothing, Lord. I ask that you speak to them, Lord Jesus. You change their lives, and this be testimony for them, Lord. And then they go out and they proclaim your name, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father. We love you, Father. I pray for this ministry, Lord. I ask that it just continue to grow and flourish, Lord Jesus. That every person in this ministry is able to continue to walk with you and walk out and thrive with the gospel, Lord Jesus. To go out in this, and if we are in the end times, is go out and just to be able to be strong. 
through you, through persecution, through long suffering, through any patience, Lord. Yes, Lord. And not give in to the mark of the beast, Father. Yes, all these things are to come right now. Yes, Lord. We love you, Father. We yes, thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.